there. Hello. Hi. Hi there. I'm not going to miss that. Dun, dun, bung, bung, dun, dun. I, you know what? I kind of like it. Oh, that's good. It's. Uh, I, I kind of like it. Good. I think it's kind of catchy. Yeah, this was catchy. You know what this was catchy? Uh, the plague. That's, we've had that. We're done. It's the song of the summer from last summer. We're done. Boom, boom, boom. Boom. Da, da, ba, ba, ba. Stay home. Wash your hands. Put this on your face. Don't say hi to your mama. Bum, ba, Maybe your cat can get it too. Yeah, exactly. Foo, I say to it. Foo, foo on the flu. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. Flu. I, it's not okay. the flu. I, I kind of feel like you know. I mean, it's been helpful though. Like it's a to me, it means that we're going to talk. So that's like, you know, I think if I if it was I had you know if I was getting like contact from people who it was this like Ugh, another meeting. Oh boy, I can see then you know that that would be like the song of dread. But you know, it's going to be you and I talking. So it's. It's like it's a happy sound. It means good things and are coming. That is, that, that is a positive. That is a positive. You are talking to someone with a real phone phobia. <laughs> well, I know. That has not gone away. Like <laughs> having your phone phobia and, and making it mandatory during a pandemic does not tend like, you know what? I like it now. It's fine. The pandemic really turned my time because I had some bad memories associated with phones. Yeah. But now, you know, I've got the, the global pandemic memories. So it's, uh, it's good. <laughs> I, you know, freshen up your trauma. Yeah. <laughs> I decided I i don't think I have a phone phobia. I think I just have like a social anxiety associated with phones because I don't actually mind answering the phone. Mm-hmm. I don't, But I don't like calling people because I feel like I'm interrupting them. Yeah, you feel like you're, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, which, which I disagree with. I mean, I don't think, very rarely, I think, do you ever call anyone and the person on the other end goes, day. <laughs> I know, but I mean, it's still, it's just like, you know, what, like social anxieties don't have to make any sense, you know, that's, that's the problem. The thing. Yeah. That's the problem with them is they, they don't actually, you know, like, you know, when someone doesn't contact me via email for, for a week, and then my, my immediate thought is, oh my God, they're mad at me, you know, mm-hmm. so. Or te- it doesn't text me, or it doesn't respond to something. I my my whole mind immediately goes to, oh, what have what have I done? I must must yeah, be mad. The only, not they're the busy. Only you, <laughs> yeah, the only way you know someone's mad at you is if they send you a mad emoji, and it's going. <laughs> I guess that's a you're good. Like, well, they're mad. They must be mad. They use the emoji, and and that's the truth. You cannot lie with an emoji. <laughs> my favorite emoji to send people is the upside down smiley face. Oh, that's that's a confuser. Yeah, it is. That's why I like it. So you've turned that smile upside down. It's not what it means to me, though. It means, like, I'm happy, but it's confusing. Ah, okay. Yeah, well, that sounds like this year, sure. <laughs> That's what I mean. So, so if something happens, like, okay, for instance, this happened this week. I don't, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't talk about it, but we had, like, a, an abrupt pushing ahead of schedules for something that, that we're involved with. Okay. And so yeah. I, was, I was talking about that with, with someone else we're, we're, we're doing this with, and, you know... And I, I wasn't like upset about it because I just feel like that this is just typical of doing any of these sort of things. So whatever. But, you know, so I sent back an upside down smiley face, which means, you know, it's confusing, but what can you do about it? <laughs> so that's the thing. What can you do? Let's not, let's not lose our heads. You know, we'll just, we'll just soldier on. 
Well, it, okay, you can take the upside down smiley face as a couple of things. Yeah. One, you're smiling, but it's not what you mean. You mean the opposite. Yeah. That sounds, let's think one thing. Yeah. When you're saying let's not lose our heads, it actually looks like someone who's had their head cut off <laughs> and it's now rolling into a basket. Well, I don't, I don't think the, I don't think the emojis are meant to represent people who've been guillotined. Ah, well, like the French ones are. <laughs> not an assortment, not an assortment of people who've been beheaded that we're choosing of their various the various mugs that they are the, the facial expressions they're making when they when they you know because a lot of them don't make any sense. That why yeah, was, well, I mean, what you're going through, you're right, is and it's part of the thing, and you know, this very rarely someone gives me some sort of deadline. That uh, does not then become. Oh, uh, can you do it? You know. <laughs> well, yeah, that's just part yeah, of. Or, that's just part so, of these things, right? Yeah, or or you know the opposite of just like mm-hmm. you know. So I need those notes, uh, and they're like, yeah, well, you know. And then, <laughs> for sure. And it just, it a, just goes. But right. I was annoyed. I was annoyed for you. Let me it's, let me say that. Yeah, it's it's only it's only important for them to get your notes, not for them to give you notes. But, yeah, and I also know, like, last time this was a great source of stress for you, so I was like, okay, well, this time, mm. here we go. Which, of course, look, I've been, again, and I've done all sorts of shit like this before, where I realize that whenever you go, and you know what, this time we're getting it right. It's like, <laughs> no, of course not. Why would you say that? Yeah. You've been through this many, many times before, you know exactly what's going to happen, and that's that you don't know what's going to happen. Well, exactly. So, here we go. But I'm glad I... You know, I did take off. I took two weeks off from work um, to finish off the book because the last two times I have reached near the end, and I realized it was impossible for me to finish it and work. And so then I had to go into my go to my boss, you know, hat in hand, and request a few days off. And of course, they're like, "Why don't you tell me sooner?" <laughs> you know, they're not upset that I they're not upset that, that I need time off because you know. They like me. They, you know, they hope for the best for me. They want to help me. But at the same time, how about give me a break, Dave, and give me some some advance notice? So I thought this time, well ahead of the curb, book two weeks off in February. You know, like said, yeah. or even before that, just said, you know, I need I'm gonna need some time off in end of end of June, you know, beginning of July because I need to get the book finished. And I, you know, I had no idea where I would be at that point. You know, like, you know, you know, God forbid it was like last time. But you know, just some, you know, just need, need that time, right? So. So that's kind of lucky. So, so yeah. Well, this time around, I know in the book we went like uh, lots of black and white. Let's make half of it black and white. <laughs> uh, yeah. Old timey thing. Let's get that uh, in there. Hoping the hoping yeah. the last few few pages are just two cats talking to each other in a room. <laughs> I'm trying to think of it is just, just, just sort of like boy that was quite an adventure we had let's talk about it no in this closet, in this closet. <laughs> with the lights off and just our little eyes showing <laughs> what happened oh the artist got tired so tired at least it isn't a snow fight no good old John Byrne <laughs> Alpha Flight issue 8 I want to say Wow. I want to say 8 Hmm. All I know is he killed off like the main character in the twelfth issue, and it was like, "Well, oh, that's bold," and it was like, "Man, not a great idea." <laughs> that's right. Wasn't he like the first gay superhero? And let's kill him. No, no, that wasn't. No. Oh, okay. He was married, he was married to um, uh, the woman who then took up his role. Uh, mm. It was that James McDonald? I want to say James McDonald Hudson. My God, that's a Canadian name. Look. I think what they need to do with Alpha Flight, let's just tangent into this for a second. Sure. Lean into it, man. Please Just do. lean into everyone as a Canadian stereotype. <laughs> and that's it. 
You know, <laughs> the the sea woman is the Maritimes, which she is. Sure. What case a guy named Puck? Oh my gosh, you got the two French Canadians. You got the Sasquatch. Yeah. Ah, uh, Snowbird. It's beautiful, and they should always fight villains that are based on Canadian songs. So, blood of black flies. Yeah, black flies. So that'd be like their equivalent of swarm. You know, would uh, would be like all made of black flies, or like a vampire called sundown. Yeah, a Great Lakes storm. Yeah, it's yeah, a big battle. Yeah, just just tons of you know, and uh, lots of stomp of Tom Connors. A harbor explosion. Yep. Fight that. Yeah, just everything is like just <laughs> lean completely into sure, sure. all the Canadian stereotypes you possibly can, mm-hmm. and uh, just yeah, have have fun with it. Don't uh, don't reach out and do anything else. Just watch those great Canadian moment uh, infomercials and just take everything from there. Yeah, you have you have uh, you have to you fight have the like, Rocket Richard rioters. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's good. You also have like a like Kang, Kang the Conqueror, the Time Conqueror. What? But he controls standard time. Ah. Like just standard sure. time. It's like, oh, I will alter standard time in a way. <laughs> but then they trap him in Saskatchewan because wow. there's no daylight savings time and he forgets that. And it's like, oh, no. Or, or that's, how, no, that's how you beat the vampire. You beat the vampire by like somehow you take him to Saskatchewan. <laughs> and it's just like, I have an hour to defeat you. Wait, no. Ah, damn it. I like I like the I like the idea that the sun sets earlier because it's in a different time zone. Well, then he planned he planned. Oh, he planned it. it. He planned for it. He's got a a schedule. He has a schedule. Earlier, like what time is the sunset tonight? It's like oh, it's you know, it's like six fifty. But he forgot to set his watch ahead because he's in a new yeah his his vampire watch. (laughs) Oh damn it! I really want to do Alpha Flight this way now. Oh well. Yeah, we'll see. Well, that's very Canadian because I think time zones were invented in Canada. That's the thing. That's the guy that invented yeah. standard time. When you said the heritage moment, yeah. that is one of them. Oh, that's one that occurred to you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And cool. that's one that uh, my friend uh, Sean McDonald is in. And I think Peter Kalamis is don't, also in Don't you one. mean your friend Sean McDonald Hudson? Oh, no, sir. I'm talking about the genuine Sean McDonald. <laughs> the genuine Sean McDonald who I did Star Trek with and played uh, Bones McCoy in there. Uh, but yeah, he was... The, he was uh, in the background going, whoa, in the, in that one, just like shocked all the time. Oh, huh? <laughs> yeah. they'll have to fight the ghost of Louis Riel. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Somehow. Well, yeah, it's, it's touchy, uh, but, but <laughs> well, you, know, you can, the, you can, you can straddle the fence, you know? Yeah. You know what? You just need like someone to have named a beaver after Louis the Riel or something, <laughs> you know, and, but it's a cyber beaver. It's got uh, adamantium teeth. And uh, somehow it's got a sonic tail. Yeah. So it can like smack the tail and that'll knock people back and then its teeth can gnaw through anything. But it's got to consistently gnaw or they'll uh, grow and pop up through his skull. Yeah. Like the real beaver teeth. That, that new wave metal. This also works because Weapon X program was originally started in Canada. So it would make sense they would have experimented on animals first. And what animal would they have experimented on if they wanted a vicious animal? Not a bear. Don't be a moron. Yet later, yes, a bear. Yeah. But you would have started with the beaver. And so they started with the beaver and they've wolverined up the beaver. Mm. Could have wolverined a wolverine now that I'm thinking about yeah, it. That does make sense. Maybe the reason <laughs> they called wolverine wolverine is they originally had a wolverine. Yeah, there you go. Oh, for fuck's sake. That totally makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Beavers are already kind of vicious. They're not, they're not actually docile. They are vicious. Oh. Yeah, well, wolverines are too. 
Um, yeah. You know what I got to do is uh, I got to pitch this. I'm, I'll be right back. <laughs> Go pitch and rejected. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> well, I thought you were just going to pitch it into the garbage can. I'm glad you took a step in between those two. Yeah. That's good. No, by the way, if anyone works for Marvel and they want to, <laughs> you know, uh, they want me to write that, I will write it. I'll write it as a TV series. I will write it as a uh, as a comic series. Mm-hmm. I'll be happy to do either. Movie, you say? Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. By the way, the new Shang-Chi trailer came out today. And also, speaking of sounds good, sounds good. Looks good. Oh, that's good. By yeah, the way, by, by the way, um, I've only watched one show, but Loki is the best of those shows they've done so far. Very good. It goes, <laughs> it goes in some directions. I think you will probably like it. As a Doctor Who fan, it gets very Doctor Who. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, like I just watched. It, I just watched the first episode. That's all. I, that's yeah, as it is now, it reminds me quite a bit of Legion, mm. like with lots of big ideas, and also Legion got into time travel as well. But uh, yeah, it's charming. It's funny. It's like just just scenery chewing people. <laughs> like you can tell that it's TV because there's a lot of let's have this discussion in the lunchroom and let's just sit down and have a long talk. There's a lot of like a, every every episode has a scene where like well let's sit down and talk it out and uh, there's a lot of sitting there's a lot of talking and then you see where the budget went that episode <laughs> and we sit and talk more about what just happened usually yeah yeah but, uh, very entertaining um, Lisa was watching a show called Blacklist yes with uh, no, James no. Spader sorry not Blacklist I'm sorry all right not James I keep Spader, I keep mi- mixing them up it's a different different one it's about Blackpool. It's not it doesn't have black in the title at all, and I'm sorry that I oh, even okay. said it. Does it have lists in the title? It doesn't even have lists in the title. I just completely I just, Wow. Okay. I just, that was way off the mark. Because this is a this is about a lady who is found after being missing for several years to she appears like in Times Square or something in a bag and she's like covered in tattoos. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Least, blind blind spot? Blind spot, thank you. Which sounds a lot like Blacklist, you have to admit. No, not at all. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and so, but I was just watching it. What you know, she was watching it. So I was, I was kind of in the room while it was playing, and uh, and I and I and you know, it's no one's fault because people are hired and then they're just thrown into the mix. But the the lead actress, like she's expected to fight, but she's clearly like the least athletic person that anyone has ever seen. So they have to like really cut around her like super lame she can barely lift her leg above her knee like so it's just kind of like cut mm. cut super cut 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 you know you're like well i guess you know if you were doing like a movie you'd train for the movie you know you'd like get buff and you get all in shape for this but you know it's a tv show so she's probably like hired two weeks before they started filming and this pilot and then next thing you know she's like okay well, i want you to fight she's like, what? what okay jeez you know last, that's one of those, wait, last that's activity one of those... was bowling so. Yeah, that's one of those shows that you go like, huh, I wonder how, how long that was. Not. Five seasons? Yeah, that's what uh, Mary said that, too. She was, cause she was curious, and she said, they did a hundred shows. I said, well, I guess they did five seasons. Of it. Right, and what character is she in the Marvel Universe? Is she, She's in the Marvel Universe? Yes, sir, she is. She was, she appeared in, the in uh, uh, let's see, two movies uh, with, uh, with uh, Loki. There, there's your clue. Two movies with Loki. Yes, two movies with Loki. Oh, she is one of the uh, friends of Thor. Yeah, the friends. Of, that's, which sounds like code for something. But uh, <laughs> yes, the fighting friends of Thor. Yeah. She's wow. Yeah. I'm. You know. She, I. You know. That maybe occurred a bit later in the run of the show. Maybe she. Because she must have gotten had to get in shape to do that. Well, who knows? Like, I mean, Lady Sif is a swords person, not mm. a kicker. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. But sometimes when you're fighting with a sword, you'll like, you know, use your combat, you know, you'll, during the combat, you'll kick your opponent away from you or whatever. Don't you do that when right. you're fighting? Sort yeah, of she was, she was not in Ragnarok, I think because of Blindspot. Ah, okay, but okay. She was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. Uh, she did uh, make an appearance in, in, in that series. She was, okay. uh, she was pretty good in that. Yeah. Well, I have, so, but, I you know have what seen I hope, by the way, let me just say this. Yeah. Uh, if I was pitching uh, Blindspot and you're saying, yeah, it's about a, a lady who's naked inside a bag in Times Square. Yeah. I would make sure that her name, and I don't know what the lead character's name is. Sure. But I would say uh, make her name Catherine, right? Make her name Catherine. Yeah. And call the whole thing Cats Out of the Bag. (laughs) And it's all about secrets, but it's also she was Catherine, she was in a bag. Yeah. And there we go. I don't know what the blind spot is in the show, so... Oh, well, I'm going to assume if she's covered in tattoos... Yeah. I mean... She she can't read her butt. Yeah, that would be it. Yeah. Yeah. The blind spot is her butt. (laughs) That's the thank you for ruining it for me. They reveal that in season six. <laughs> That's why they canceled that season. Yeah, they were like, "Oh, we can't, <laughs> we can't do that." Hey, what's your, what's your big ender? Wow, how do you say that? But, uh, I'm assuming she's got no memories. Yeah, I think she's. I think she doesn't have memory, and then she's covered with these tattoos that are they're being deciphered by the uh, by the the team or whatever by these FBI people. And so then, someone's seen Memento and went, <laughs> what if it was a nice naked lady? And one was in a bag. And what if the, the tattoos were meaningful and they could be deciphered? Although the one I watched, it had an address for a building. Oh, I guess it didn't make sense because the building had some sort of importance. But they were like, there was like simultaneously like a hostage taking this building. And then they're like, your tattoo Named as the address of this building that this thing is happening at, and you're like, that seems strangely convenient. Why would <laughs> why would they find that particular tattoo's meaning at the same time this hostage situation is happening? But okay, and then they went there, but then they discovered that it was like a CIA, um, black you know black ops sort of head you know house or whatever, like a safe house or a place where they torture people or something, and then which they shouldn't have in the United States, but you know they're the CIA, so bad guys, and then the. Nice. You know, that's that's what I was. That's what I saw of the show. I didn't see how it how it all unfolded. Sorry, well, folks. I know that I know that she's going to be back as Sif in uh, Love and Thunder. So you know, hey, if you can't make it in the movie where everyone gets killed, yeah. good call. You know, <laughs> hey, guess who's still alive in this universe? You, smart, good work, and also you got paid for doing a TV series. Also good, well done. Just don't show up for the one where everyone gets killed. <laughs> yeah. Really weird that uh, what's his name. Uh, the guy who played um, Chuck and also uh, Shazam, that fella. Uh, Le- that Levy? He, uh, something Le- what's that? There's last name Levy, Levy? Zachary Levy, that's right. Uh, he showed, He was one of the Warriors 3, and uh, he wasn't in the first one, but he uh, you know, was later. Uh, and it's like, oh, I'm going to be now in the Warriors 3. Ah, you're all dead. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Seems the smart move would be you know, show up later on, and uh, when everyone's been killed, and now you get a nice part. But now he's got but, the now he's got the lead in Shazam, so I'm sure he's happy. Yeah, he's uh, Shazamming around. He's he's fine. Mm. He wants to do a superhero. He wanted to. Yeah, he yeah he's a he's a he's a nice fellow from what I've uh, understood. And in Chuck, they used to plug my wife's comic all the time, mm-hmm. so I am all for this fella regardless. <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs up to him. Yes, I say in honor of Blindspot, bums up. <laughs> 
I, ha- I had the dumbest idea for a, for, you know, because you think like sometimes, uh, what's an opening for something that would like grab you? Yeah. And it was, uh, it was a, a fellow who wakes up in the morgue and he's dressed as Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Okay. He doesn't know why. He's uh, yeah. like, I mean, he's in the morgue, yeah. and then he realizes he's got a hole in his head. Yeah, that goes all the way through his head. But it's one of those situations, like when you've got a bar through your head. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and, but you don't die. Uh huh. Like yeah. And so it's like, oh yeah, it's you. You, you survived. Uh, and why I'm in the morgue, we didn't think you survived, but I obviously survived. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, he's got to figure out why the hell am I dressed? Because he has no memories. He's mm-hmm. got to figure out why am I dressed like Lincoln? And why do I have a hole in my head? Yeah. And then you. Do your movie and you go, ha, that's your high concept. <laughs> high concept, indeed. Yeah. Does, does he keep a diary to the film? Yeah, he writes it on the back of a shovel. <laughs> okay. Because it's like, you didn't call it Lincoln's Log. but yeah. Lincoln's, uh, Lincoln's Log, yeah, back of a shovel. <laughs> and uh, he can only tell the truth. <laughs> Wait, that's George Washington. Uh, Honest Abe. Oh, Honest Abe, that's right. I'm sorry. Yeah, both of them. That wasn't that wasn't ironic. That was, he really was on. Oh, that'd be funny. Also, how about when they called that guy Lion Roosevelt? <laughs> Did they call? Yeah, you know they called him Lion Roosevelt because he always said he was like the other Roosevelt. And it was like, no, you're not. You're the other Roosevelt. And it's like, no, I'm that Roosevelt, the one that's the different one. It's Wait, like, what are is... you though? This what? is a totally different time. What is this? What is this you're talking about? Wow, there's two Roosevelts that were president. Okay, okay. And so whenever someone goes, hey, are you Theodore Roosevelt? Yeah. No, I'm the other one. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> you lying, Roosevelt. Yeah. Ah, I'm a stinker. And then he goes, beep, and then it runs out. Well, he was in a wheelchair, so <laughs> yeah. he rolls out real fast. Right, sure. <laughs> he has a motorized wheelchair. Zooms, yeah. Zooms off. Yeah, that uh, is also a wisecrack, and it's a wisecrack in a wheelchair. <laughs> He's a wisecracker in a wheelchair. <laughs> Love it. Listen, we're just pitching all these genius we ideas. Once we, what? this is the problem. Yeah. We are so great with ideas when we're apart. Once we're together <laughs> in the same room and we see each other's expression on our faces, which says like, "This is the worst I've ever heard," uh, then we kibosh it. We just get but, this, the dumbfounded look of our. <laughs> yeah, I've right had enough time away from people that I can't read signals anymore. Oh, that's brilliant. Join join the club. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good place to be. My main my main question at work: If someone says, "Hey, Dave," this is the question I ask every time. What's wrong? <laughs> Let's assume something's assume something's wrong. I can't help it. So yeah, like, I just get made fun of, and I'm like, "Hey, I'm you know I'm right sometimes. So sometimes there's something wrong. That's why I ask. What's wrong? Yeah. Let me let me suggest you do this instead. When someone says that, you go, yep. "What did I do now?" <laughs> just, and then just hang your head and shuffle your feet. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> My tail <laughs> fell off. While you're back there, what's the tattoo say? <laughs> That's right. Oh, Eeyore. <laughs> I, th- I think Eeyore is fine with who Eeyore is. I think if Eeyore was happy, he wouldn't be happy. Kind of a fellow who just likes being who yeah, he is. Yeah, you never get the sense that he's, you know, like, like his de- he's like depressed. I think he's just sort of like, you know, sort of a naturally down, low key kind of a guy. Yeah, like uh, Grumpy in the Seven Dwarfs. You know. Yeah. If he wasn't Grumpy, well, that'd be an interesting thing. <laughs> if one of the Seven Dwarfs like all of a sudden stops being their thing, like if yeah, Happy yeah. stops being happy and yeah. cries, yeah, uh, all of a sudden he ceases to exist. <laughs> oh really? That's what they know is like, yeah. Oh. 
Because, and again, I don't know if I've told you this theory before. Yeah. Okay. But they all combine to form the prince. <laughs> because they are all aspects that is, of a man. Yeah. One aspect yeah. of a man. But they've separated because of something that the Wicked Queen did, a potion. I see. Where she took a seven-foot-tall, handsome yeah. man yeah. who's sometimes grumpy. He's sometimes happy. Sometimes he's <laughs> sleepy. Sometimes he's got a little bit of a sneezing problem. He's got some allergies. Yeah. Sometimes he's a bit of a dope and all this, and then uh, it split him apart into yeah. seven yeah. Uh, uh, things and just put him in the woods. Sure. Like, ah, ah, ah. But then once uh, Snow White uh, is, dies, yeah. he, 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 he unites himself Voltron sure. style okay. and kisses her. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you know, yeah, all these you know, uh, little fellas that she you know, had affection for now are now the man that she loves. And his name was Tom Riddle. Yeah. Oh, geez. Oh, do you think the dwarves are horcruxes? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> They're containers. I was. I think that if one of them, if one of them gets, like, say, if Happy suddenly becomes depressed and sad, then he has to leave and he has to join the seven ironic dwarves, uh-huh. who all just have names that are the opposite of their personality. Uh, here's what I think. Yeah. I'm writing this down because I actually do like that idea. Um, I think the dwarves. Okay. What's so- your Vult- your Voltron idea? No, no. Well, I do like my Voltron idea. Uh, but uh, let me just get oh, this. Uh, oh, the Horcrux here. idea. Yeah, I like both of them actually. I'm, <laughs> I'm down with. I'm down with all of them. Okay. Uh, but what what I what I think uh, you should have is uh, you should have like she shows up first of all before she gets to the seven doors. Yeah. She gets. Uh, she shop, stops off at another seven doors. Sure. And the seven dwarves are all though are all words you can't say on television. <laughs> okay. It's like nine dwarves. Oh, is there nine words you can't say on television? Yeah, it's nine words. It's ass balls, cocksucker, cunt, fuck, uh, motherfucker, piss, shit, and tits. I'm sure some of them you can say on television now. Oh, uh, yeah, you can probably say ass and tits. I wonder when was the last time you heard that on TV? A bird, wa- a bird watching show. Can. A bird watching show. And clearly, balls you can because there's like ads now for mow your balls, you know. <laughs> so yeah, you can say that. Did they actually say mow your balls? Well, no, but they do say you know uh, tend to your balls. Basically, this is something. There's a lot of ball shaming that's going on right now. <laughs> it's, well, I think it's more and uh, and hair shaming, sometimes yeah. they're, sometimes they're subtle. Like it's a guy trimming a hedge and yeah. he's doing it badly or you're standing behind a bush. Basically, they're doing to men what women have had done for them forever. Yeah, that's uh, about they're it. Doing it. They're doing it to us now and we don't like it. <laughs> Which is like, hey, you know the way things are on your body? Yeah. Boo! You, <laughs> you should uh, trim that business up and shave it up and mess it around. Yeah. Slap it around and put some cologne on there and give it a little hat. There you go. And uh, and yeah, and they advertise that now. So <laughs> I don't I don't like women having to do that. So I'm I'm well, I'm equally uh, I'm equally not on the the side of this as a good idea for men either. Fair enough. Here's the Seems one like a lot of trouble for nothing. Here's the one problem with the set of the nine words mm-hmm. is you, is you've got uh, both fuck yeah and uh, motherfucker yes and to me it's like no that's a root word you don't do that yeah that's seems like there's only eight. Because yeah, you can say mother. You can say mother. You can. That's correct. So but they put it as one word. Let's which get I don't that. even know if it's one word. It's one word. Mm-hmm. It's written as one word. Yeah, you didn't. Uh, you didn't post uh, your, your your regular Father's Day. Ah, uh, you uh, know what? Because I because I know. Uh, you know when I used to do it and thought it was hilarious. 
as before I knew some gay dads, but now now I've got the gay dads in my life. So mother, you know, saying Happy Father's Day, motherfuckers, isn't quite as it's not quite as funny now. So I, no, that's a fair point. You know, motherfuckers and fatherfuckers. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I could have, and also fatherfuckers. But I just felt like, ugh, it's just who cares? And that's a tag. It adds too much to it. I thought you were going to say, now that you are uh, a colorist. For, yeah. a, for, a, for, a, for a child. Oh, fuck. Who gives a shit about that? No. And then, like, the kids, like, see your name in the back and go, oh, it says he has ponies. I wonder if he ever posts pictures of his ponies yeah. on, um, on on his Twitter. Sure. They go to your Twitter, and it's like, uh, happy Father's Day, motherfuckers. <laughs> and then they turn to their wow. parents and go, papa, mama, or mama, mama, or papa, papa, or papa, mama, papa, mama, whatever it is. Whatever's going on. How are they? So, yeah, whatever. They're, yeah, yeah, whatever, uh, whatever they're used to. About, yeah. And then, uh, oh, the letters that are written. <laughs> well, you know, that's another thing. I'm not really very sweary in my social media presence, except for that one little joke every year. So, yeah, maybe that's a good reason to not do it. But, you know, that's not the reason. I just was thinking about it, and then I was thinking about the fact that, like I say, I, you know, know people who are who are their friends on my Facebook and they are gay and they have children. So I just thought, well, that's kind of cutting them out of the fun. So ugh, forget about it. Good for you. Uh, I got to, I got to correct something. Sure. George Carlin's bit is the seven words. I thought so. But, uh, it's, it comes from, it comes from, yeah. Uh, Lenny Bruce, uh, being arrested in 1966. Yeah. Uh, for uh, was arrested for saying those nine words. I see, I see. And so then, uh, in class clown, uh, he did the seven words you can never say on television. I so see. balls is out of the mix. <laughs> and I think shit. I oh, know shit's in the mix. Yeah. Piss is in the mix. Motherfucker is in the mix. Uh, it's fuck. Yeah, fuck is there. Balls. What the hell's going on? <laughs> I'm I'm missing like one of them here. But anyway. I'm getting, it, I'm getting it wrong. Anyway, it's uh, shit, piss, uh, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, tits. Those are the seven. Okay, and I and I maybe tits is still out. I don't know. It feels like you know. It feels like it's a word that I feel actually. It feels like a word that's no longer used that much. Oh no no you don't use that word. Yeah yeah. Oh uh, I guess ass ass is out as well. Ass and balls are gone. So uh, yeah, forget those. Those are fine. Uh, but the other ones uh, stay. Hmm. Mm. Well, yeah, no that, one says no one says that anymore, unless you're trying to pretend like you're, you know, an old person making up, you know, <laughs> old timey times, right? Yeah, it's you only say it if you're. Like I said earlier, you only say it if you're a bird watcher. Now, it's just mm-hmm. and good for and good for good for them. Good for sticking the sticking to their guns and yeah. not and not like changing the name of those birds that were named a long time ago when when tit was a harmless word. Well, you know, then it's a slippery slope and the blue-footed boobies that have to go. <laughs> well, I remember making a joke when the girls were, this is when they're still in elementary school and we we're talking about, I said, well, you should, you know, I was just joking at the table and I was like, oh, well, you know, if you have to do research about birds, then you should do tits. That'd be fun. And they're like, dad. And I was like, or the red-breasted penis. <laughs> so, yes, that also got a dad. Dad, they're asking us to leave Denny's. I'm like, all right. You can't have me leave. It's my birthday, you said. It's like, what do you mean? You can't kick me out of my birthday. That's not the rule at all. Oh, Get shoot. a free meal. I do. No, great. Dang. Fucking A. Get out of here. I guess I was thinking about Reno's. That's the tits. That's the tits. <laughs> yeah. No, that feels like a word that's 
I don't know. What do we say now? Boobs? That seems like a more fun word. I guess so. It's got more, more, more fun letters in it. Yeah, I think that made, a, made, it, made its way around again. Also, you can spell it on a calculator. I think I, people just put an emoji up now, and then it's like, nah, I get it. <laughs> What's the emoji? It's emoji of something that looks like that. Two birds. Like if, uh, two birds. Uh, like, oh, two, fried, two fried eggs. <laughs> <laughs> it's all food. <laughs> they ruined everything, you know. Those emojis. Right. Like artichoke, I, I can't go that far. <laughs> I don't know what that is, really, but I can't, as, you know, listen. Yeah. You know, I, you know okay, I'm willing to try it, but I... Mm, yeah. Let me just look it up on Urban Dictionary. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, that's nice. Actually, I'm into that. That's fine. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it, does, it does influence a lot. Like, as a straight guy, I can no longer eat eggplant. So. Mm. Oh, they're so good, though. My God. Are they? Oh, yeah. You know, and I understand. Look, if, if you, if you uh, came of age, forget the sexual implications of an eggplant. <laughs> if you came of age at a time when uh, vegetables were just done terribly... <laughs> Uh, I understand why anyone would yeah. hate eggplant. The name is horrific. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was steamed or boiled to death. Yeah. It was just that. terrible. No one, no one, I seem to know, you know, oil, it absorbs oil and flavors. So if you put good flavors, yeah. this is really, really great. And I was like, mm, we don't understand that. Oh, do you know how Brussels sprouts work? No, boil them all. Oh, God, no. Why? Why? I, I, can't even make broccoli work. I have to admit that uh, unlike the majority of people, I, I like steamed veg- vegetables a lot. Steamed vegetables are great. I like steamed Brussels sprouts and broccoli Good. and cauliflower and all that stuff. I think it's great. Yeah, and well, steamed is better than boiled. Boiled, uh, oh, boiled is out. Yeah, boiled is crazy. Yeah, no, no. It just makes it, it, makes it soft and mush. And, and you just got to go over to England and just go, look, guys, <laughs> no one tried this? Yeah. <laughs> no one tried this. Like, you had fry pans, right? Yeah, but that's what we're cooking our bread in. <laughs> okay. Well, well, first of all, don't do that. Don't fry your bread. That's why we have a toaster. Our toaster, well, that's, that's what we cook our bangers in. No! <laughs> you're doing this all wrong. I don't know. I, when I was in England, one of the first times, I, this was in Orkney, and I thought, but they, they had seemed to have a very advanced oven to me in the, in the sense they had like I think it's called a it's called a salamander, one of those things like it's like a heating heating element like melts cheese, so you just like slide yeah. it into. They they had one in their oven, like at the top of the oven, had a salamander, so like she just like had cheese on bread and then slid it into that and it melted. The, and I just thought, well, that is the greatest thing ever. Yeah, you had a Welsh rarebit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, just some toast with cheese. But is that a Welsh rarebit? Toast with cheese? Yeah, Welsh rarebit is cheese. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a fake. Uh, it's it's okay. So the name comes from you know you're thinking you're going to be getting like you know a rabbit, but you're dumb. You're dumb. You're a dummy. You won't. You, yeah. He won't know if we just give him cheese and uh, <laughs> and then we put a little bit of like Worcestershire sauce on it or mm. something like that. Mm. This dumb dumb's eating eating cheese and bread. Oh, what a fool! And it's like that's delicious, you moron. Yeah, so the idea is, you know, this dummy doesn't know the difference between cheese and a rabbit. I'm gonna guess that that's that's not what it means, but that it was a a dish for people who didn't have money to to pay for meat. Kind of like Yorkshire pudding was like, you know, it wasn't like meant as a, as a delicious side as much as it meant as some delicious filler because we don't have enough meat to make a whole meal. So we also made these little. Things that'll fill you up and help you help you get past this, this sort of semi-meat dinner. Well, problem. it is intended to be jocular, 
Uh, okay, here's the thing. <laughs> but, he, but, but here's the... Okay, I'm looking it up right now. Oh, okay. So the term Welsh, when yeah. it's when it, when you say Welsh, yeah. that's a slam. Okay? So if you say Welsh before something, it's slam. Hmm. So uh, it's, it's, it's basically meaning anything substandard or vulgar. Oh. So uh, only... Po- yeah, and it was, so only po- people as uh, poor and stupid as the Welsh <laughs> would eat cheese and call it rabbit. Okay. I see. So, you know, or it may simply allude to, as they say, the frugal diet of the upland Welsh. But, like, it was a, it was a dig to say something was Welsh before you uh, put it in. So, yeah, they say uh, it's a reference to the dish Welsh rabbit, uh, which was a popular dish. Huh. Yeah. So, I, I could say, so to use this in a, in a proper way, I could say, I was watching that movie Welsh Monster Hunter the other night. Yes, that would be good. Yes. Okay. Thanks. Yes. All, all clear now. Yes, and you welched on a deal. That's a slam. <laughs> you're so you're so bad. You know you're Welsh. You're that bad. But it's not. I, maybe that's a root word. But if you welch on a deal, it's not spelled Welsh. It's spelled with a ch, not a sh. Oh, okay. Well, I guess you spelled the Welsh one. <laughs> <laughs> and I, maybe that's a reference to the fact that someone gave you grape juice instead of wine. So you, Oh my God! Well, you welched on a deal. I've told you. uh, Oh yeah, it was. It looks like uh, it. The expression "welshing on a deal." Yeah. uh, Originated in the 1860s in English horse racing slang Uh and was an insult geared towards Welsh people. (laughs) There was a xenophobic mistrust of all uh, people uh, group of English. So there you go. It's a mean thing to say. And there you go. Hooray! We're using bad terms. (laughs) Boo. But oh, Welsh maybe, is... Maybe that's why it's been re... I mean, because I've never seen it spelled with the SH. I've only seen it spelled as yeah. Welch. And as I've told you on a previous episode, mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a child, I went to Kmart once with my mom. Yeah. And uh, I was, like, so excited. Uh, like, first of all, we had, for some reason, gotten this thing uh, in school that was looked like a comic book, but it was all just ads. It was all just, like, comic book ads for, you know, different products. I don't know what, but there was a coupon at the at the bottom of it. Like yeah. I don't know why our school was having us like take a flyer home. Yeah, but it was it was, and one of the things was for Welsh's grape juice, and but they were American flyers, so we couldn't use them. But it was just like, oh, this Welsh's grape juice looks great. So we went to Kmart, and they had grape juice, and my mom went and got me some grape juice. And so I had lots of grape juice, and I drank the grape juice, and it was the worst thing I ever tasted in my damn life. Like, I went to the bathroom. I was like, Bleh! Like, it was so bad. It was so bad. I just was scraping my tongue with a towel, like, just trying to get it off. It was yeah. so bad. Yeah. And I thought, I hate grape juice. So every time anyone would bring up, like, we'd like some grape juice, uh, no, awful, get out of here. But for some reason, I like grape popsicles, but I assumed yeah. grape juice, radically different than grape popsicles, sure. which are amazing. Yeah. Later... I had some prune juice and went, ah, it's this horrible taste. Wait. My mom gave me prune juice and either either the Kmart folks mixed it up yeah. or my mom tried to get me to poop or some such. Uh, <laughs> or, she mixed, or she mixed it up. Or she mixed it up or she was just, he won't know, was giving me prune juice, telling me it was grape juice. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then put me off like grape juice for years, mm. years. And then I tried grape juice. And it was the most, it was the best drink. It was so good. It was like, oh, all these years are wasted. <laughs> all those years wasted. Yeah. Well, if, you know, often we get, we get the crush mix at work sometimes when we're, we have like a, a, like a little kind of celebration 
lunch or whatever. And yeah. I always, I always take the grape soda. I don't know. It's not something I would choose if I was paying for pop, but when it's free, I, would, I don't know. I always take the grape soda. So if I was, you know, if I'm going to a store and I'm paying for pop, I'll, I'll generally just be boring and buy a Coke. But uh, understood. But yeah, when I'm when it's free and there's like a choice, I'm like, oh, look at that grape soda. Well, you know, your other your other crushed flavors as we've gone, gone on about are crushed strawberry, crushed cherry, yeah, crushed orange, yeah, of course, crushed orange, mm-hmm. crushed diet orange, of course, you're gonna have that option, yeah. Your crushed peach, your crushed pineapple, your crushed grapefruit, your crushed tutti frutti, and your crushed blue raspberry. And your so you do have choices. Also, crushed now, yeah. now available. Mm. Don't get me started. Crushed uh, lime and uh, most recent. Uh, you can get this in uh, Newfoundland. Uh, crush birch, birch beer. Crush birch beer? Crush birch beer. And you can get that in Newfoundland? You can get that in Newfoundland. Interesting. That's one of, actually, that's one of the more uh, curious parts about, about like soft drink sales is that they have, you know, individual bottling companies in different cities. Mm-hmm. You know, so for instance, here in Vancouver, there is a company that bottles Coca-Cola here. And sells Coca-Cola, like they distribute it here in Vancouver. They don't get Coca-Cola delivered to them from some other place. They 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 make it here. So that sounds weird to me that they have birch beer specifically for Newfoundland. But oh no, if you think about the fact that you know there's individual bottlers of these various co- uh, you know various pops and stuff like that. So I think Crush is owned by Pepsi. I'm not absolutely certain, but so I assume there's like a there's some company that does the bottling for Pepsi in, in Newfoundland, and they decided. Or for Crush in, in Newfoundland, they decided that uh, this would, you know, this is a perfect flavor for for us Newfoundland folk. Birch, well, let me tell beer. you what I what I think is the situation. Sure. Oh, yeah, it please. Is, I think the situation is that uh, they've got a new flavor and they're going to try it out way away from everybody. <laughs> and that's that's what they do in the in the states. Like they'll if they've got like a new McDonald's product. Yeah, yeah. You know, just like why is this only in this small uh, town in this state? Yeah. It's because we're seeing if it kills anybody. <laughs> and if it doesn't, and also you like the flavor and it sells well, yeah. we can we can market it. But sure. you know, that's why we have the hamster nuggets for sale, <laughs> you know, here in, in, in Fargo. Yeah. Yeah. I I kind of feel like birch beer is a thing that's more of a regional taste than it is that a test to see if the rest of Canada is ready for birch beer. Like I just I don't know. Maybe, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I could go into 7-Eleven next week and there on the shelves is, you know, a a big display of birch beer crush and they're all they're pushing it. But I feel like I feel like it's just something that's regionally of interest in Newfoundland and the rest of us we don't get it. Yeah, it's a, uh, Newfoundland does have an old timiness to it, and something like a birch beer—that's like like a sarsaparilla, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You, you have, and you go like, mm, you know, root beer exists. <laughs> it's it's kind of the evolution of sarsaparilla. <laughs> There's other options. The improvement but, on yeah, it is a very much a, an improvement on. But if anyone wants a nice uh, crushed birch beer. Uh, then I would say uh, go to Newfoundland because that's where they got it right now. You have to wait an extra half an hour to get it. Yes, yes, you do. Oh, there's a deep, uh, there's a deep cut. Only, for, uh, only Canadians get that one. Okay, here we go. We got six crushed sodas you can only get in Newfoundland, and that is, uh, yeah, you can only get the crushed pineapple in Newfoundland, crushed lime, hmm. crushed cream soda, uh, crushed birch beer, crushed uh, diet cream soda. Yeah, and crushed crushed blue, blue raspberry. 
again, these are all uh, Newfoundland flavors. So at some point we need to go uh, with our book Sparks and we need to do a signing <laughs> in Newfoundland and have a, a crush tasting party. Oh, I'd love it. Mm-hmm. That's a place I'd like to visit anyway. It, have you ever been to the Maritimes at all? I have not. I've not been there. Oh, I think you would enjoy the Maritimes. I think it would uh, sync up with your sensibilities quite nicely. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I think you would really like Halifax. Cool. Well, yeah. I mean, so many of my favorite bands are from there. So. Yeah. And you'll run into them on the street because there's one street. <laughs> well, I think they've all gone to Toronto, but yeah. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I would like to go to Halifax and not to Toronto. I've been to Toronto, so I don't need to go there again. No, well, but, uh, I mean, this, this more has happened. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. It's approved at all. I mean, what's only gone there is they've lost the things that are interesting to me, like Sam the Record Man, gone. That big giant thrift store, gone. Um, yeah. Is Pizza Pizza still there? Yeah, Pizza Pizza is still there, okay. uh, but it's no longer across from uh, Honest Ed's because Honest Ed's is no longer there. Yeah, there you go. What's the point of going now? It's just, the, it's just diminishing. Is the beguiling still there? I think the beguiling is still there. I think there. the beguiling is still there, but they have, I think they had to move. Mm. So they're not even in the location that you saw them in uh, in uh, Peep Show or in uh, in Palookaville. So pff, what's the point? Well, you can't live in the just, past, just man. Dimin- it's just diminishing. <laughs> you There's new you know stuff what? there, man. Is it any good? I don't know. You have to go and see. I don't want to go and see. the record man any good before people knew it was good? So are you telling me that I shouldn't go see uh, Niagara Falls? I've never uh, I've never seen it, and we lived like uh, an hour away from it. Oh, is that right? I never went. So fucking dumb. <laughs> Unbelievably dumb. And it wasn't, you wouldn't even think like, new, when we knew we were going to move, you'd be like, want to go see Niagara Falls? Yeah. Then why not? Yeah, yeah. Why not then just spend a day and drive uh, over to Niagara it's Falls? An hour over there. Oh, does it see some water going over a big cliff? Yes! Uh. Yes! Apparently, it's a better view from the American side anyway. Oh, uh, Grand Canyon, big hole. Wait, uh, who says the American side is better? No one does. Well, no, they can see the Canadian side. You get a better view of the Canadian side from the American side. <laughs> That's what I heard anyway. Yeah, I've seen the TV show Wonderfalls. I get it. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. is that I Niagara saw Falls? Superman 2. I, I get it. I didn't it. see Superman 2. Yeah. <laughs> I, I read um, Anthony Trollope visited the Niagara, visited Niagara oh, Falls. Oh, wait a second. Dollop a Trollope. Time for Tell me something about Trollope <laughs> and Niagara Falls. Oh, I can't say very much about it because I, it was a long time ago that I read it, but I just think it's interesting that he, uh, well, he was in North America. He wrote a book called North America about yeah. his travels here. And my favorite story in that book, which is not related to Niagara Falls, but is uh, he's talking, he had a writing desk that he traveled with. And this is what allowed him to like keep up his 2,500 words a day word count writing, you know, so he'd get up at six in the morning and write his 2,500 words. Or when he's on the train, you know, traveling, he would take out his little desk and he would he would write. And uh, during his travels in North America, I guess a porter took this desk, this, you know, very personally valuable desk, and just heaved it. And it smashed on the ground because this guy just threw it carelessly. And, of course, Trollope was upset. But then, in retrospect, he said... It is so democratically wonderful, though, that someone to feel free enough with other people's possessions <laughs> to just smash them. <laughs> so I always kind of liked his uh, his kind of overview, this sort of thinking. Well, it is sort of the natural result of of democracy that everything is equal, and so your your precious desk is worth no more to this person than anyone else's. So that's fair. This just reminds me when we brought up. First of all, I want to say something about desks in a second, but sure, uh, that's, if, that's if, what I want to say. I just wanted to point out that he had he had been there. Please do. Uh, and I, I appreciated bringing I up a dollop of trollop because, uh, as you know, next week is going to be our face-to-face. 
Hmm. Um, and uh, and uh, there are many segments that we have uh, done in the past that have uh, faded away. Oh. And I'm just going to ask, like, uh, listeners of the show, yeah. if there's something you want us to bring back for the 500th episode, like a dollop of Thrallop <laughs> or other things, I'm going to let you fill in the blanks. Uh, let us know. And uh, otherwise, we're just going to list um, sodas and candy bars. <laughs> so I'm just war- warning you about this. So atypical. Now, I don't know if I, if, if I just made this joke up or if I've done it on the show before because we've got almost 500 episodes. Yeah. And doesn't matter. But you mentioning a writing desk made me think mm-hmm. of the old uh, from uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland uh, question that the Mad Hatter presents to Alice, yep. which is, "Why is a raven like a writing desk?" Mm-hmm. Okay, and I think I have uh, an answer to to that. I think I just made up one, or perhaps I've done it on the show before because okay. that's my work. That's what, my life. What's your uh, What's your answer? Okay, let me present it to you yeah. uh, now, and and you will say, I don't know. You repeat back to me, I don't know why it's a raven like this. Okay, so I will say okay. to you. All right, so we're drink. First of all, uh, before we do this, change places! Okay, so we change places. Because <laughs> I'm a bad hatter. Yeah. All right. All right. All, oh, dear Alice, why is a raven like a writing disc? Am I Alice, then? Oh, for fuck's sake. Yes. <laughs> Okay, thank you. Well, well, no, you're Dave. Dave, you showed up. Yeah. I sh- <laughs> okay. All right, we're going to do this again. All, All right. right. Places, <laughs> places, ready? And and now don't be thrown, but I'm going to say uh, uh, change places. Okay. And I just said places. Places, of course, is for camera and sound. we got to go back to our ones. We're going back to ones. Okay. And now I'm going to say that. Then I'm going to say the setup. Yeah. Then you do the response. Okay. Don't okay. go, am I Alice? <laughs> like, <laughs> who else? When I say to you, oh, Alice, I'm like, is that me? No, I've got a second character I'm going to knock out now. No, of course it's you, Alice. Jesus. Okay, all right, here we go. <clears throat> Back to ones. Change places! All right, shuffle, 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 shuffle. Okay. All right. Oh, Alice, why is a raven like a writing desk? I don't know. Why is a raven like a writing desk? Just cause! <laughs> Okay, so just just cause. 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 Ravens don't cause though. Oh, for fuck's sake! Day. Four hundred ninety-nine episodes. Four hundred ninety-nine. Yes. Just want a little support. A little, you know, a little give and take. Do a nice little fun sketch for everybody. Sure. Little uh, classical reference. Yes. And uh, ravens do not call. What do ravens do, Dave? I'm not sure actually. What the oh, well, then is. I stand not corrected. <laughs> they, uh, they, they kind of make a. Yeah, I don't know how to describe it. Sorry. We don't have that ravens here that they're they're not commonly around. Oh, we, we do. So we, maybe they show up. At, they show up at work sometimes. Okay, it's a gurgling croak. Yeah, it's more, there you go. It's hard to describe, as I say. It's not really a... Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, there we go. That's fine. So, there you go. <laughs> People also say craw. You know, that's also fine. Craw, sorry? Craw. Yeah, like craw McGraw. Uh, K-R-A-A. That's the sound a raven makes. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Well, then you could do that again. And to say just cross. I don't think that's a joke. 
If you want to do that joke, I'll say. I'll, <laughs> no, no, I'll, 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 I think the moment. I think the moment's passed. To be honest with you, mm. you know, I think. Okay. You know, why is a is it why is a ho- is it why is a raven like a writing desk? Is that what he says? Is there another is there another question that he asks? Some, uh, a handsaw? Something about a handsaw? Oh, this is uh, the, okay. Well, maybe. Hmm. Uh, listen, by the way, uh, the answer that uh, E. Nelson Bridwell came up with in the Oz Wonderland War is uh, because uh, Poe wrote on both. It's a very witty uh, thing. Mm, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what what other questions that uh, that the Mad Hatter uh, asked. Sorry about that. That's okay. That's no, okay. I thought I thought you'd done some research for this uh, sketch. Well, uh, you know, I mean, I only get shot down once, and then I'm off my horse, right? <laughs> Who shot you I, down? And, and I can't ask, like, while I'm back on the horse, like, I'm not. I'm down. I'm on the ground. <laughs> Is that... You know. Oh, I'm, I'm, I, I I'm served sorry. you a delicious meal, you threw it on the floor, <laughs> and now I went, what's for dessert? It's like, well, nothing. That's the answer. <laughs> you're going to McDonald's oh, after this. Oh, dear. And you're getting a Big Mac because that's what you I, always get. I like Mc, I like McDonald's. So. And you're not getting it delivered because you do not like getting it delivered to your door because you know then they know where you live and they're going to tell Grimace <laughs> that at night he'll sneak into your house and give you a kiss on the forehead. So gentle, so soft. <laughs> well, it doesn't sound that terrible. Could be worse, I guess. Oh, he's doing that while the hamburger is robbing you blind. <laughs> Oh, well, that's not so nice. <laughs> yeah, Hamburger's upstairs getting all that stuff. Captain Crook is down in the basement. It just seems like, that seems like it's a, uh, getting like McDonald's delivered to your house seems like a thin edge of the witch. That you're heading down a bad path and you're not going to be happy with yourself in a couple of years. I gotta say, there is a little bit of that, right? There is a little bit of that where you go, is this a bridge too far? <laughs> is this too convenient? That's that's a possibility. Yeah. Because yeah. now I'm getting all these 7-Eleven offers and they want to they want me to like have slurpees delivered to my house house and that seems like like it seems bad bad enough that i drive there to get slurpees. like when i was a kid we would walk to 7-eleven and get a slurpee like we we would expend energy get a slurpee and then walk around drinking the slurpee and till we were finished the slurpee then we would go do whatever you know like mm-hmm. there was some activity involved in it you know like we had to go sure, get sure, it sure, yeah. but now i'm like i usually just stop on my way home from somewhere i'll be like you know, driving back from usually I nowadays I, I expect it as payment for for uh, trimming Harris's feet or Pony's feet. So I, I like to joke, you know, like if I do it, I like well now I, now I'm owed a Slurpee. So on my way home, I will stop and I'll get a Slurpee, and then I'll drive home with my Slurpee. That that seems like that seems bad enough that I you know, but to be sitting at home and have some person arrive at your door and hand you a Slurpee. Well, that, you don't answer the door. That is well, whatever you you know. I hope they ring the doorbell so you know that a Slurpee's been delivered anyway. Hey, if you follow them on your phone, it's fine. <laughs> I, I keep the interactions low. Basically, I All don't, right. uh, whenever I get something delivered to my place, I have yeah. them. I put a note, don't ring the doorbell, don't knock on the door. Oh, really? Yeah, it's fine. I'll, so, get, I'll look and there it is and I'll uh, get it. Okay. It's fine. I don't get any delicate, you know, yeah. ice creams that the arm will melt immediately. The, the, the problem with the Slurpee is that uh, they got to rush it. Because it is starting to melt the second it's out of the machine. Mm-hmm. That is the problem. Yeah, and also Slurpees are very personal. Like how you oh, you like to do a mix them. Like how you like a Slurpee done is very personal. Like I personally, I don't like a big mix, but I do like a mix. I like to have two different flavors. My daughters like to have like five different flavors, which just seems like folly to me. But whatever, 
I'm not going to criticize right. them. But I, I like two flavors. I like grape and Pepsi as a Slurpee. Or lime and Pepsi sometimes. Those are sure. my, my kind of go-tos. And, you know, but still, I like it a certain mix. I like a certain order to the mix. I want, I want the, the grape on the bottom and the, and the Pepsi on top. Okay. And, you know, but you just know that if you ordered it, you're just going to get whatever. Some guy's going to, like, you know, put it barely, probably laying on its side on your, on your doorstep. And then you're going to come outside and be like, oh, great. There it is. <laughs> and they got well, I, the grapes on, the, ahead, the, grapes on the, the top. Oh, okay. Grape, grapes, grapes of wrath, yeah. Yes, they didn't listen to uh, my, my, my request. <laughs> I went to a, a movie this this week and <gasps> me too. Uh, you know, they got the machines there, the drink machines, which are now you can't go to them. Yeah, uh, and so they uh, they could only give you uh, drinks that were in bottles, and the only uh, drinks they had in bottles were Coke Zero uh, and uh, <laughs> I think blue vitamin water. Oh. And boy, howdy, were people not like I'm off soda right now. Sure. So um, You're so I just this. got a, I just got a cup of water. Yeah. Um. And but uh, yeah, they, the people were just like, oh. like you just tell they were really sad <laughs> that they couldn't get a drink that they wanted. Yeah. Like I was like, oh no, I like going to the drinks and getting all the drinks, and it's like, oh yeah, that is part of it. I mean, I, I prefer when they hand you a drink rather than you go and you mix all Me the too. drinks stuff together. Me too. Because so many people don't get the technology, and it makes it so long. <laughs> it's just figure it out. Figure it out. It doesn't matter. It's, it doesn't matter. It's, it's partly that. I just, just drink it. Ah. I was listening to this old comedian the other day. He's not so much a comedian. He's more of a monologuist named Lord Lord Buckley. Was that his name? Okay. And in his little spiel that he was doing, he was talking about going to the grocery store and having to push the cart around the store and put the items in the cart. And he said, and he said with some, uh, you know, outrage, "Am I working for the store?" I just thought, that's so funny. Like, at one point, the idea of, like, having to put stuff in your own cart was considered crazy. Like, I guess I guess that when you think about it, like, the, the old general store, there'd be people behind the counter, and you would go in and you would oh, request things, and they, yeah, and they yeah. would hand them to you. And then when they created the, the grocery store, you know, and they gave you this cart or, you know, a basket, and then you walked around and you filled it yourself. You did the, that store's job for them. And of course, they're very happy because that meant that they'd have to pay people to do the job that you're doing for them. You're doing it for free. And we've slowly, like over time, taken on more and more of these tasks for these stores. Yeah. And they haven't lowered the price for us. They raised the prices, but you know now we we get our we get the food or we we get the food ourselves. We load it onto the onto the red you know by the register onto the the little conveyor belt, and then we and often we'll load our own put our food in our own bags. And put them into the basket, and then we go outside. You know, now we're even worse. We scan them ourselves, mm-hmm. and put them into the bags ourselves. And uh, all the while, other people are putting money in their pocket. We're just working for free. It's great. What a great system. They're brilliant. They're brilliant because we're still paying. It's not like you don't go there and you get like a discount. You don't get a discount for using the the self checkout. You're paying the same as a person who's going over and and just having human interaction with a person who goes through it, goes it, and often we'll put them in the bags for you. Right. But instead, you're over here, like, doing stuff like a chump, putting them in the bag, and things are falling down, and the machine is barking orders at you, and you don't know what's going on, and there's a there's some young kid there who has to come over and show you what to do, because you messed up somewhere, and, oh, you gotta do that, and you're, oh, oh thanks. So inept, and of course, you're sweating now, because this is embarrassing, I can't get all the stuff in the bag. I'll have to use another bag, I guess, and, oh, dear. Boy, I'm sure glad I'm an employee of this store for free. 
I wonder if uh, and I'm going to defend the store. I wonder if you know, <laughs> yeah, defend that corporation, please. Because the prices are going to go up. But do you think maybe they don't go up as much because you know they you know that's that's their way of cutting expenses is having you do the scan your own. First of all, it's interesting that it's the same joke uh, now. People <laughs> like, do I work for the store? I'm yeah, like, yeah. Just, that's the same joke. <laughs> I carry my own uh, groceries to my car. Yeah. Do I work? You know, why am I doing the store's taxes? Do I work for the store? Oh, I do work for the store. I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's oh, fair. That makes sense. That's fair enough. Yeah, they're paying you. That, to do it. That's 100%. Fine. That makes sense. Yeah. Would you feel comfortable going to a grocery store, old-timey grocery store, where you would just say to the person, um, that, 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 and that, and then they bag it all for you and hand it to you? Like, you don't pick your own, like, fruit or anything. You just go, like, I want an apple. I want a pound of this. I want a thing of that. I want a duck. Would you feel comfortable with that? Or do you like the uh, going through the aisles and seeing the thing and putting it into your cart yourself and checking the milk and going, mm, what date is that? Okay, <laughs> let me get that and put that in that. Do you, are you okay with doing that, that part? Yeah, I mean, like I'm, old, yeah, I'm already, timey, I'm already trained. I've never experienced the other one, so I have no, I have no frame of reference for that. Like that is, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I love going to our small local home hardware store where people, you know, where they have like, they seem to have like an outsized amount of people who work there who are willing to help you. Mm. And I don't mind, I don't mind them helping me. So I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, I now for the most part, unless it's a, it's a day where the car is over here. Uh, if I have to get groceries, I will order the groceries. Yeah. Uh, and I was doing that when things weren't safe as well. And yeah. so, yeah, I'm basically doing what you're saying the old timey way was, which is like, I'm, someone is going and, and picking my groceries and putting them in a thing and bagging them up for me and taking them directly to my door and <laughs> dropping them off at the front door. And it is uh, very nice yeah. when it's the heavy things, mm. when it's the um, the milks and the and the liquids and what have you and sure. the flowers and what have you. Uh, yeah, that's 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 quite pleasant. I'm I'm all I'm all for that and may still continue to order the heavy things. Um, but yeah, I do miss going into a grocery store and like going, ah, that's, oh, oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. I went into one the other day and it was like, oh, it's just so delightful. <laughs> just walk through the produce aisle and just go, so much goddamn selection. Oh yeah. my gosh. So good. No, it is, <laughs> it is nice. But I mean, our, our truly nice grocery store left us a, a couple of years ago now, I guess. That's your Safeway, yeah. That's uh, Safeway, yeah, which was a nice big roomy store. And then uh, I was at a Safeway where I went, this is really nice. <laughs> I was really happy too because they had Impossible Burgers there. I was like, ah. everyone's got Beyond Burgers, and no one's got Impossible Burgers. So I was able to cook them uh, uh, medium. I was like, ah, oh, that's great. <laughs> that's cool. Fake blood in there. Mm, no, 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 no. That's good heme. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I do like that. I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm the sort of like when I used to shop, when I used to do the regular grocery shopping. You know, that's what I would do. I would just sort of, I would start on one end of the store and work my way down each aisle. And what I was looking for were, were specials, you know, like I'd be like, well, we're almost out of mayonnaise, so this is on sale. I'll buy that because then I have it ready. And because I think it's much worse to like only buy things when you need them because generally then, then you, they're not on special, you know? So you're like, oh, we need, we need mayonnaise. So you go to the store and you're like, six dollars. Oh my God. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to do? I can't, you know, can't not have mayonnaise in the house right now because we need it for this, whatever we're doing. So I guess I'll spend $6 on mayonnaise. So see, but I didn't buy the week before when it was four ninety nine or whatever, you know, whatever, right? Like, so, uh, that's not much of a deal, a dollar, but you know what I mean? 
hey man, it's a dollar. A dollar it's a dollar, dollar. Yeah, go, go somewhere else. Uh, here's a here's a, a dumb uh, trivia about Lord Buckley. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, Lord Buckley uh, yeah. inspired Bob Dylan's "Mr. Tambourine Man" of uh, one of the phrases in "Mr. Tambourine Man," huh. which was the jingle jangle morning, uh, because uh, Lord Buckley was in Scrooge and uh, he used the line "jingle jangle bells all over." And uh, and Bob Dylan liked that phrase much. Jingle jangle, ah, it's great. And then he put it into Mr. Tambourine Man. Oh, so interesting. Thank thank Lord Buckley for that, everybody. Yes, thank him for that. Yeah, and by the way, check out Lord Buckley. He was a big inspiration to a lot of people. Yeah, he's interesting. Um, yeah, I was just listening to. You. Is he more interesting or funny? Would you say more interesting? More? Yeah, mm, that was a thing of a time. Yeah, I think that's more interesting. I don't think he's like someone you're going to fall down laughing at anymore. You know, but I would say the same thing. For the most part about Lenny Bruce, that most most of his bits are things that you're kind of like, hmm, <laughs> that's, huh, interesting. Yeah, huh. there you go. Yeah, all right, that's fine. Because, you know, humor is so of its time. It's hard to, you know, it's hard for all of it to translate. It's, it's like reading old Mad, like if you read Mad magazines from the 50s or 60s, you know, some of the stuff still works. Mostly the kind of more slapsticky kind of stuff works, but the very kind of Madison Avenue parodies and stuff like that of, of their time. There are things that are more like, the drawings are good. That's kind of a reaction to them. The drawings are good. Yeah. I don't get this fake camp brochure at all, but I'm going to read all of it anyway because it's in Mad Magazine. I don't understand what I'm reading or why it's funny, but I'm just going to read it all anyway. Are you familiar with uh, American Bystander at all? Am I? I don't know. Am you? No, not oh, at all. Okay, fair enough. Apparently, it's a popular uh, magazine that I might be uh, writing for soon. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. Uh, it's called American, I mean, this is, American Bystander. I believe I believe so. The American Bystander, yeah. Okay. It's a quarterly uh, humor magazine. Ah. Uh, that's, uh, let's see, what, what can I tell you about, about it? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, started in the early uh, 80s, and uh, it received backing from Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, Lauren Michaels, Bill Murray, uh, Dave Thomas, and uh, yeah, it was a it was a humor magazine that's uh, you know they were trying to do kind of a New Yorker, New York Times type thing, and uh, and it's been around consistently uh, since then. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Bill Morrison, who was the editor of Mad Magazine when I was on it, is now kind of, is now going to be editing a cartoon version of it uh-huh. that will appear as kind of the comic section in American Bystander, and then hopefully we'll spin off into our own thing afterwards. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of a project that I'm working on uh, right now. Oh, that's cool. So if you get a chance to see what uh, American uh, Bystander is, you know, uh, Jack Handy uh, did stuff for it, uh, George Meyer, Ross Chass, Terry Jones. Uh, a lot of people are just like, oh, oh that's pretty good. Huh? Yeah, it does sound. Mer- Meryl Marco. Yeah. And now me. <laughs> so there's a step up. That's there a, you are. That's a hard thing to be nowadays, a humor magazine. Mm, well, we'll see. When you think in the past how many there once were and now. I mean, I know we think of like the New Yorkers, but the New Yorker isn't really a humor magazine. It, it no, has... it's, got, uh, it's got some uh, yeah. humorous yeah. aspects to it. It's more like, yeah. But it's not a joke a minute more, thing. It's more of like a no, it's more general interest magazine. And, yeah. 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 yeah, with a lot of like information about things that are happening in New York. And you just go, what kind of city I mean, is this? What the? Yeah, I used to think like, Esquire was uh, was kind of a funny magazine. I remember reading things in Esquire that I was like, "Well, oh, that's pretty funny." Mm-hmm. Um, and then now it just looks like GQ to me. <laughs> it's like some guy 
when muscles on the cover, yeah. like posing. And it's like, hmm, it's, it's, it's all right. I guess that's once they lost that googly-eyed fellow ogling all the girls in the cover. What, oh, that's, googly ogler. Yeah, Mr. Googly ogler. <laughs> Mr. Googly oh, ogler. He liked the ladies. <laughs> I always assumed... I think he was that, esky. Wasn't he esky? I think it was, might have been esky. I, uh, whenever, I, uh, whenever I saw the magazine, because I couldn't get to them because they were too high up, I was like, that's a dirty magazine. You could tell <laughs> by the way that guy is like a real perv. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. Yeah. It's not. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I've never been a big Esquire fan. I did use That's okay. I'm more of a, I like Atlantic Monthly a lot. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that seems old timey. It, it, you know what? It's a, uh, it's a really well edited and written magazine. Okay. It's kind of like when you read British magazine, like the Spectator or the New Statesman, and you're like, where do they find people who can write so well? Like, mm. But I think part of it's that they have really good editors as well, like that they really know how to, they really know how to like goose a piece to make it work, you know? But anyway, I mean, I guess we had Frank magazine here in Canada. Was that considered a humorous magazine? I feel, yeah. I feel like they're kind of taking a, a page out of private eye more than, more than being like strict humor. They also were like kind of a gossip. They had the hot goss and then they had like a lot of kind of political, you know, muckraking as well. I think Frank magazine's still around. Let me see. Yep. Yeah, think, it's uh, yeah. it's it's still it's still at least all, yeah it's on new, yeah it's on newsstands it still exists yeah I don't I just don't think you see it here very much because it's very it's very uh, Ontario centric and it's an Ottawa centric and it's in its yeah. uh, story they're doing a lot of jokes about COVID and uh, specific COVID things there mm. yeah there you go it's it's a thing they're doing it yeah they're fine trying. they're trying yeah, good for them good for good for anybody doing anything good for them yeah I mean the Atlantic is good because. It was founded in 1857, so they've had a lot of time to get it right. Sure. That's enough practice yeah. time to, to, to really get it good. And the thing is, I don't care at all about the Pacific. So it's like oh, directly oh, the Pacific. It's directly in my in my wheelhouse of interest, you know. Yeah. What's your what's your favorite ocean? <laughs> well, to be honest with you, you know what? Yeah. I, I think I, I've been in the North Sea. I've been in the North Sea. Have I been in the Atlantic? I don't know. I get, Have you never been to the Atlantic Ocean? Well, I've never been to the Maritime, so you know. And I'm, oh. I think when I was in England, when I swam, I sw- only th- only place I've swam in England was in the Orkneys, and I believe that if you're swimming in the Orkneys, you're not swimming in the Atlantic; you're swimming in the North Sea. But I could be wrong. I mean, it depends what side of the Orkneys you're on. But so I have swam, you know, quite a number of times in in the very, 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 very cold water of the Orkneys. That is water that you. You are swimming in it because you really wanted to swim. Like you were just insistent that you're going to swim. Right. There's, there's no like pleasure, pleasurable reason to go into water that that's that that is that that that's that cold, you know. And once you're like over ten years old, cold water is no fun anymore. Well, then you won't like the new ocean. <laughs> I won't like the new ocean they're introducing. Yeah. Well, they've already introduced it. It's now it's now official. It is the ocean. Can you name all five oceans that currently exist? All five oceans. That, okay. So let's just go easy. So okay. Atlantic, Pacific, yeah. Indian, yeah. Uh, Arctic. Yes, sir. And what is the new fifth ocean that's around uh, Antarctica? And it's not the Antarctic. It's ocean. not the Antarctic Ocean because that's what No, but where it's located is a clue as to its name. Um, so it's located in near the Antarctic. 
Yes, it is. It's that's surrounding uh, Antarctica. Yeah. Oh man! It is the world's fifth ocean. It is now an ocean. It's on a planet that you live on. This ocean. Name that ocean. <laughs> it's on a planet that I live on. And it is not Billy Ocean. It's not Billy Ocean. They missed a chance. They did. They really missed a chance there. Is it? Uh, is it? Now again, the clue is mm. where it's located. Yeah. Oh, I know it's in the Antarctic, but that's. That you know, unless it's like it's not, it's not named the Antarctic. Unless yeah. it's like the Cape of Good Horn Ocean or something like that, you know. No, it is not. You're thinking too uh, geographically. Too, 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 uh, now, geographic is a great way to look at it, oh, okay. but you're being too fancy. So, is it the Southern Ocean? Yes, sir. It's the Southern Ocean. Okay, that's that's kind of lame, but not not terrible. Yeah, you know what it is. You know what? It's easy for kids. You got to memorize the name of an ocean. <laughs> That's the thing. Where's the one in the south? You mean yeah. the southern ocean? Yeah. All right. There's a point. Now you get into college. Good for you. That is. You're right. That is. One, that's going to be one cold ocean. Although, if well, even if you're like at the the tip of Argentina, I bet you it's pretty cold there. Could be. Now all these uh, penguins are getting their mail sent to the wrong place. They're like, what? <laughs> I keep writing. Uh, what is it now? I don't know. <laughs> okay, fine. Dear occupant. Yeah. I've so. Yeah, the Pacific is cold as well. By the way, if you're swimming, uh, I remember going as a like as a kid. I went to I went to Long Beach, okay, on on the west coast of Vancouver Island, and we happily, my brothers and I, happily swam in that in that water. We I think we were blue by the time we were f- finished in the water. But then, um, you know, years later, when I was in my late twenties, I worked on a fishing boat, and I thought it would be great fun to hop in the ocean. And oh man, it was cold. So cold, mm-hmm. so very cold. Not even like funny cold. Just like I jumped in and immediately all the breath in my body left me. Like like it was my soul. It just like <laughs> I just expired as soon as I landed in this water. It was just crazy how cold it was. And I was just like I was just like <laughs> trying, to, trying to breathe and doing like this you know like uh, very simple kind of like treading water thing, just trying to warm myself up by moving. You know and then. I I stayed in there for a little while, but it was it was there was no fun. There was absolutely it was unbearable. I just I had to like give up. And my dream of swimming with a sunfish was was, was dashed to the ocean floor just like that. I remember when uh, I was visiting my friend Dean in uh, Los Angeles, and we walked along. <laughs> we were walking along the beach there. It was, it was it was the beach that's got like Muscle Beach, like so. It's oh, Venice, Venice Beach, yeah, Venice Beach, Venice Beach. And there's yeah, all the guys doing the push-ups and, mm-hmm. the, and the chin-ups. You're like, Jesus, that's weird. Yeah. And as we're walking along, uh, I, was, I was saying, this this really seems like an episode of Baywatch. <laughs> and uh, and he yeah. said to me, this is where they shoot Baywatch. Oh. And then as we walked a little further, they were shooting an episode of Baywatch. <laughs> I was like, your story checks out. Um, but then he went, uh, like, uh, just try going into the water. I'm like, okay. And so I walked in the water and it was like immediately warm, just like completely warm and comfortable. You could just go right in the water. It was so nice. It was like, this is ridiculous. A beach you can just walk into. (laughs) That's not how you get into a beach. I'm used to White Rock. I'm used to Crescent Beach. I'm used to like, uh, (laughs) (laughs) just jump in. I don't want to jump in. I'm just going to go an inch at a time. Uh, uh, She's metric or Canadian. Fuck, fine. Uh, uh, And then then it hits your bathing suit and it just soaks up. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And it's like, no, <laughs> and your testicles, and you, your testicles withdraw into your body. They're like, nope. Yeah, I'm out. Then you have to do the dive and then you get a face full of seaweed, the creepiest seaweed. And you're like, ah, ah, seaweed. And you're going to swim and the seaweed is just like bristling against your chest. And it's like, yes. I hate, I hate, I hate everything you're describing. It's all, that's all nightmare, nightmare feel oh, to me. I hate blah, this blah, so blah. goddamn much. And yeah, you go, you go there and it's like, Hey, where's all the seaweed? I don't know. Maybe the poison in the water. What? Nothing. <laughs> anyway, go for a swim. And it was uh, so comfortable. So mm-hmm. great. And then we went to Hawaii. It was the same deal. It's just the idea that you can just go like, and I'm just walking in the water and we're great. <laughs> now let me stick my head under the water. Map every fish in the world. This is beautiful. This is amazing. This just looks gorgeous. Okay. Yep. This is, yep. This is great. Our oceans blow. <laughs> Yeah, if you're not used to it, actually, um, swimming in a beach in, in Los Angeles was the first time I ever, well, only time. First, I, t- I almost drowned, uh, cause I, oh, no. I wasn't expecting how the waves worked. And so I was just, you know, I was pretty small then. I was probably eight years old, six oh, or eight no. around there. And I just, I was just playing in the water and then a wave w- knocked me over. And then I, as I came up gasping, another wave knocked me over and I, so I didn't get a breath. So I was like, out of breath underwater and then i was disoriented because i'd been knocked over twice and uh, luckily i was able to right myself and come up get out of the water but it was a very scary moment uh, for for eight-year-old me no that does not sound fun Ugh. no I just, it's uh, not you're, yeah, you're right I, I, I was at uh, some some relative's place and i don't know if it was a lake or what but i remember there's a dock and like we visited uh, there we were there the day before and like uh, I, I knew where the dock was, and I knew, uh, you know, it's like oh, so the dock's here next to the dock. You walk into the water, and it's uh, shallow. And I knew that. It's like oh, that's great. Uh, so we're, we're fine. So uh, the next day, I go and I walk there, and somehow the tide had raised, or something had happened, and the dock had raised with it. Mm. And so I didn't realize that the water that was, you know, a foot deep was now really deep. <laughs> and so I go running into the water. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I'm under the water. Oh dear! And I'm under the water, and I'm under the water, looking up at the dock. I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking up at the dock, and I'm seeing kind of plants on the ground, and I'm underwater, and uh, and I'm like, uh, oh, oh, I'm drowning. Oh. I realized I was drowning. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so what do you do? And so I think I've told this story on the show before, but thank God for cartoons. So I'm like, well, what you do when you're drowning is you put your hand a hand up, and you do the one two, three with your fingers, and then you go, well, wave goodbye, and then you drop. <laughs> is that what you and I was actually doing a bit, like, but for some reason, I just thought this is what it, what you do, because it seemed like a cartoon. Yeah. So I put my hand up, yeah. and I was waving my hand, I was a one, two, someone grabbed my wrist, pulled me up, the dock was like, what are you doing? You're going to drown. I'm like, uh, yeah, I was drowning. Well, don't. I'm like, oh, okay. And I went back inside, and I said to my mom, oh, I almost drowned. Like what? <laughs> wow! Shouldn't tell your mom. Couldn't really explain to her how cartoons saved my life. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't tell your mom you almost drowned. It's gonna but it was so limit your freedom. Clear. Like I do, I, I still remember like how crystal clear it was under that water, mm. and just this like real crystal, like uh, like everything was sharp, everything was completely in focus, which yeah. is weird because I'm underwater, yeah, so yeah. it shouldn't be, but it was, and uh, and it was just this thing of like, oh, I'm drowning. Must have been cold if it was that clear. Probably, yeah. I, remember. Like, uh, I think also on that trip, we went out in uh, a rowboat, yeah. which was going to be good, relaxing, fun. Uh-huh. But like we were on a lake, and you could see the seaweed just like uh, down below that just came up from forever. Yeah. And it was the most terrifying thing to me. It was just the idea of, what if we fell in that seaweed? 
that would just be, oh my God, like I couldn't believe how terrifying it was that there was all that steam weed around. They're like, that's fun. It's great. It's relaxing. Let's, let's stay out here for longer. No. Seaweed. Terrifying. Horrible. This is the worst. If you, yeah. get out, if you get out far enough in a lake, you, you, you can escape the, the seaweed. That's my favorite place to swim is, is from a boat on a, in the middle of a lake. Oh. There's no better place to swim, in my opinion. I, uh, I love fresh water, and I just love just jumping right in the water from a boat. And, and you don't have to worry about, you know, yucky like stuff around the surface because there's yucky stuff, but it's way down below you, so you don't have to worry about it. You know? oh, I don't even okay. think about it. Just swim around, you know. It's great. I remember um, jumping into, this was Cornell Lake, uh, where Lisa's mom and dad used to have a cabin there. And, and her aunt and uncle had a cabin. They kind of shared a property and went there to visit. And I jumped off a dock into the water, and I was just sort of, you know, treading water, just swimming in. And I looked down, and there's this leech. I could see, clearly see it floating past me. Oh. I, just, I just got super still, and it just kind of carried on by me. And I was like, whew, don't want that. Don't want that on me. I've never had a leech, leech or anything on me. That, that would be terrible. I haven't had them, but I, I came out of uh, a lake with friends, and they had them like mm. everywhere. Mm. So I don't know, like how, like they all just went for their tasty flesh, <laughs> and for me it was like nope. maybe they're like maybe it's like mosquitoes. They don't sometimes they don't like people. The certain people could be. I mean, I had had one leech once, and I did have to take it off, and it mm. was a bleeding thing. Yeah, uh, I was like, look, this is awful. Um, and I think like somehow it got off with like a, a cigarette or something because some hippie helped me. Um, <laughs> helpful like, hippies yeah let me help you with this cigarette butt <laughs> like there it goes I'm like all right i should smoke um so let's deal with this but yeah they were covered in leeches and they were so ah i'm like oh well yeah well i'm not so i have no empathy because i'm a child and a sociopath oh, well well all, ch- all children are sociopaths so that's fine yeah, that's the, that's their uh, that's their strength and their weakness. <laughs> a certain lack of of empathy. Hey, I gotta survive. That's a kid. Yeah, that's my job. Like I've got to be the next generation, or no one else will. <laughs> yeah. So true. yes, you're you're correct. I must survive. You do not have to survive. Only me. And then everything will be fine. That's the plan. Here we go. <laughs> that's what works. That's what works. Yeah. I was the same. Um, I remember my brother. Uh, choking on bacon at the table when I was a kid, and I just sat there like, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't uninterested in what was happening. I just didn't know what to do, so I just kept eating. <laughs> my, mom, <laughs> my mom performed what you know the the not Heimlich maneuver as all parents knew at that time, which is to bat you firmly on the back as if that was yeah, just give you a couple of good whacks. Yeah, to help firmly. So you're like, uh, if I'm choking, I better keep mom about this. Or I'm gonna get- <laughs> <laughs> my, my brother was he was seriously in 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 some distress but the, here's the thing like my mom got mad at me for just sitting there but i don't know what to do i'm yeah, what would you i'm do? a year older than him i don't know i don't know anything more than he does i mean the best thing you could have done would have been punched him in the stomach <laughs> well, maybe like, you make it appealing but yeah that's uh yeah just a good, a good boof in the in the stomach <laughs> maybe what made him go boof yeah. out you know uh possibly yeah. uh, hey I, bully him I don't know, mom. Maybe you're a mom. Maybe you should take some first aid that will help you with as a mom. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to give you suggestions that you could fall. It might, you know. But that's maybe what I would think of doing. I yeah, don't know. Just cut, me. Just me. Cut up this dum dum's bacon. <laughs> maybe just scrambled eggs from now on in. Yeah, we're having, bacon. we're having bacon. We're having bacon, bacon and tomato sandwiches. They're pretty good. Okay. Pretty good. Pretty good. That is. That's pretty. That's pretty, what. No lettuce. 
No, no, my mom, my mom never did the lettuce thing. We just just had like Miracle Whip, toast, bacon, and tomatoes. Okay. Well, I'm not. I don't think lettuce was expensive. I think she should have like got <laughs> a little iceberg on there as well, yeah. give that extra crunch. Sure. And also, I would say the iceberg would have been uh, a lubricant mm. that may have uh, allowed your brother to uh, you know, swallow, <laughs> swallow more. Swallow more. Who knows? Made it. Made it. Made it blocked it even more. Uh, it could have. Yeah, he could have choked on lettuce. You know, and then and then as you know, you're at his funeral. You just go, eh, a rabbit's death. <laughs> he died of a rabbit's death. I choked I, on lettuce. I grew up in a tomato weird. house. Mm. Some people do, and some people don't grow up in tomato houses. We, I think my mother was pro-tomato, but uh, again, uh, people didn't know what to do with fruits and vegetables back then. So uh, it was soft and gross, and uh, I was off tomatoes for many years. Until, mm. until I met uh, my wife. Okay. Uh, okay. I, was, wow. I was off tomatoes. I mean, we would have, then, we'd have soft tomatoes, but we would also have just like freshly cut sliced tomato. Wonderful. With salt and pepper and just eat that as like a, it would just be on the table as like, with like cucumbers or whatever, like sliced cucumbers, sliced tomatoes. I used to uh, be friends with a fellow in college, and one of his favorite treats was to get a tomato yeah. and a little packet of salt mm-hmm. and just eat it like an apple. Wow. Yeah. 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 That's a bit much to me, but. Uh... And I called him monster. You are a monster. <laughs> but if I you, mean, if you grew up doing it, that, if you grew up doing that, then you're just used to it. It's nothing, it's nothing to you. Tomato and salt is great. Yeah. I'll oh, yeah. make a. Look, if I'm making a tomato sandwich with something, I will take, I will take, I will slice the tomatoes. I will put a little salt on them first. I'll leave them out for a bit. I'll let that salt get uh, incorporated in there. Ideally, I'll put a little uh, basil on there as well. If I can, a little mashed basil mm-hmm. that gets absorbed by the tomato as well. Really, really nice. Uh, if I'm really going fancy, I'm adding a little tiny bit of balsamic, <laughs> uh, flavoring it as well, absorbing those tastes and then, uh, you know, putting whatever else I'm putting on there. Um, but yeah, just doing a straight tomato as an apple, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't, it's kind of one of those things, like, even like eating tomato slices now, because I don't do it very often anymore, because none of, no one else in the family likes tomato that much. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, like, the girls don't like it at all. Well, do they like it as a tomato sauce? Like they like tomato, like, they like ketchup, they like tomato sauce, they don't mind, like, diced tomato in a, in a spaghetti sauce or something, something right. like that, that's fine. But they just don't want to have, like... Like they don't like a tomato on a hamburger, let's say, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I've had bad ones, so uh, yeah, I understand. I mean, but if like I, you know, I I don't like it in restaurants so much, but it depends on the restaurant. But I like it at home. I mean, I know the quality of the tomato, so I'm fine with it at home. And I like to have tomato at home. You know, what I li- I've discovered that I like is tomato on a hot dog from having oh, having oh. like a Chicago one. Chicago style, yeah. I yeah, I don't. The rest of the stuff, you know, I mean, I. I already put melt relish on it, but the rest of the stuff, I whatever. I'm not going to go search out a hot bean from someplace, but uh, <coughs> but I'm I do like the, the sliced tomato. It's quite good, actually. I heartily recommend it. Um, okay. But uh, but yeah, no. Another famous thing that my mom liked to do is for for lunch was uh, bread with a, a slice of Velveeta cheese on it, with a tomato on top of the Velveeta cheese, and then that would be placed into the oven and melted down, and then you just you would have that. Which I wasn't a huge fan of that. One in particular, actually, I something about the cheese with the tomato, the kind of soft tomato in it was meh. Okay, well, let me suggest this to you then. Maybe uh, right. have you ever had a, a Spanish tomato bravas hot dog? A Spanish tomato bravas bravas. Yeah, B R A V A S hot dog. No, is this like a common thing people have? 
Uh, it's common enough that I've seen it in multiple uh, uh, th- listings here. So, so here's what it is. It's basically tomatoes, usually cherry tomatoes on a hot dog. Yeah. Uh, onions. Uh, you got a little honey. You got a little. They spice it up with a little bit of sherry vinegar and paprika. Uh, but here's the main thing. Yeah. You, you, it's basically tomatoes. Uh, then like sweetened a little bit, a little honey and vinegar. So you do that with the tomatoes. But what then is, you add is a hot dog or a salad. This is well. It's only one ingredient, so it's not a salad yet. Okay. One, <laughs> one one fruit does not make a salad. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's tomato and then salt. What is this? Some kind of salad? It just sounds uh, like. Well, it sounds like you're making a vinaigrette for your. Uh, okay, but here's the element that I think you might be interested. Okay. In. So it's uh, yeah, you, and you can put a little uh, parsley on there if you want, but then mm. you, you cover it with uh, crushed barbecue flavored chips. Oh. So it's yeah, you got your barbecue flavor, you got your yeah. tomato flavor with a little bit of sweetness there yeah. on the hot dog, and yeah, you, yeah, they they recommend onion as well. Mm-hmm. You can do onion as well. Like uh, onion. But yeah, looks uh, looks pretty good. Hmm, that's interesting. I don't know about the honey, but uh, the rest of it does sound well. Good. Just to sweeten the tomatoes. I see. Yes. Okay. Basically, the tomatoes are cooked beforehand. They're. Uh, you, uh, you you put a little onion and garlic usually in, in oh, a pot with so olive you, oil. So you're then cooking you, them. Okay. okay you're doing nice. them, but you're not super cooking them. Mm-hmm. You're cooking them, but you're cooking them fast. So it's like you got the onion and garlic, cooking that. Uh, then you add your water and honey and vinegar. So you got that. Yeah. Then you're adding your t- tomatoes. Quick spins. Quick, 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 quick. Sure, quick, sure. Coat, coat, coat. Just take a little of the edge off. Boom. Onto your hot dog. Salt if you want. Uh, it's a nice thick sauce. Then crunchy barbecue flavored chips. <laughs> I, I believe what you're describing is what what chefs call par fried. Ah, yeah, <laughs> because it's par, so it's just good enough. It's because it's partially like parboiled, right? Yes. Oh, I, I understood what you were saying. Oh, okay, I'm glad. I'm just glad. Playing, playing along, having some fun. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just goofing, Dave. <laughs> you'll see. You'll see when we're doing this face to face. I'll like look over at you and give you a little wink and like. <laughs> huh? <Sure>. Yeah. <laughs> now let's do our Alice in Wonderland sketch again. <laughs> You enjoyed it so much the first time. Oh, it was great fun. It was fun. I enjoyed it. It was the most fun I've ever had in an Alice in Wonderland scene, to be fair. <laughs> and I've, I've done the play, and it was not, not a fun play to, to do. It wasn't a, fun, so, wasn't a fun play to do? No, it was a March Hare, and it was not fun. I was in the mat. It was, it was not fun. Yeah. Uh, I, I wore these big pants that were like hoop pants, and I should have worn better underwear. Because uh, <laughs> people could look down and see my shabby, shabby drawers. <laughs> And uh, I was at an age that I was not comfortable with my body, and it was not a good time. All when is that? What is that age? Your whole life? That's pretty much, yeah. Pretty much for me. So yeah, but especially whatever that was, fourteen, fifteen. It's not a not the not the grandest time. No, uh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. It was worse when I somehow, and I don't remember what the fuck play this was. Yeah. But I played uh, like a prince, like a, a like Prince Goodhearted. And I, do, I honestly don't remember what damn play this. Maybe, maybe Babes and Twilight. Now it wasn't Babes and Twilight because I was in, in that a simple Simon. Man, I had some bad parts. Uh, but, <laughs> but, I, but I played a, the prince who, like, now that I'm bringing this up, kissed the princess. But there's a twist to it and some other stuff. But it was a, a old timey play. We we're doing it for like Act One Theater. Okay. And uh, and they and the makeup artist just just put so much makeup on, like put on like. Like, just, I was so, you know, uh, eyelashes, like, not, not eyelashes, but, like, just, like, you know, eyeliner. Yeah. I had, like, yeah. rosy cheeks, and I was wearing some sort of lipstick. I don't know what the hell they were thinking. <laughs> I don't know what the hell they were thinking. I don't know what they were going for. Uh, 
but yeah, I'd go on stage and get a really good laugh, but it wasn't the kind of laugh you'd want. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was awful. Yeah. And people would say, like, what were you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I don't do my own makeup. I don't know. Yeah. I'm trying to get by. I'm trying to live. Let me live. Ugh, awful. <laughs> huh. Yeah, it was awful. Well, you know, you, you're alive. Hey, you know what? You're yeah. right. That's the end of a <laughs> pandemic alive, so... <laughs> Not a racist childhood trauma. <laughs> Point made. <laughs> Beats the ultra. So you got issues with your dad? Yeah. That's weird. Why? Because, you know, pandemic. Huh? Yeah, doesn't that cancel it out? Yeah. It's, just, it's, just uh, like, a, it's like a big reset. I, I, I guess. What I heard recently was that... Uh, the nice thing about childhood trauma is mm. uh, you then uh, revisit it uh, every time you go through a developmental stage of your life. So like a big developmental stage of your life, uh, it will show up again. It'll just go, and you go like, oh, and then you be like, well, I've resolved that. That's, I put that behind me. And then like something, a major like point in your life developmentally, oh, there it comes again. Like, oh, every time, every time. Because it's so deep inside you that it just pops up. Yeah. Every time you got to deal with it at all these different stages, you're like, oh, man. I didn't know that. a lot. I didn't know that. Yeah, but, and you're like, I thought I, I thought I got over this. Like, nope. You know how you felt like you were a fraud when you were a kid? Yeah. Uh, you didn't get enough of this? Yeah. Okay. Getting married, huh? Yeah. Okay. Here it comes. <laughs> Here we go. There's a, I was reading an article today in the paper about uh, imposter syndrome. And it was saying in this article that it was... Um, first coined by two psychologists uh, as a description for women. It wasn't meant as a, as a something that men go through Okay. In their, in their understanding of imposter syndrome. So I wonder, if, I wonder if what men, like when we describe imposter syndrome, if that's something different than what women experience, if, if you know, by their understanding of... What do you, th- what do you, think, the, uh, what do you think the difference is? Well, their, their definition in this article I was reading was that... Um, Imposter syndrome is this idea that you don't deserve to be where you are because you didn't get there by dint of your own ability, but through luck or some sort of circumstance has made has put you in that spot. So you're not actually you're not actually qualified to do whatever you're supposed to be doing. I'm looking. Yeah, I'm looking at the title of the article and uh, the original article. Yeah, 1978. The imposter phenomenon in high achieving women: dynamics and therapeutic intervention. Yeah, yeah. So I was reading. I wasn't reading that article. Obviously, I was reading. I was reading a article about it in the newspaper. Um, but I just thought that was interesting that it had been was used to describe women's experiences in, as they high high achieving women, how they feel about themselves and how their their own own personal narrative of their success, which seemed to because of because of the way they looked at their success as uh, something that they lucked into, not something that, that through their own abilities and their own you know their own efforts you know created op- they created their own opportunities, but as some, it, something in spite of themselves they somehow succeeded, and that that was what, sort of the crux of the article. So that's why then I was sort of thinking about you know imposter syndrome. Like I I, I feel like I went through it. Particularly when I was a farrier, I feel like I went through imposter syndrome. But I don't know if that's the same thing. Where I, it wasn't that I felt like I was a big success. I just felt like I was a ginormous phony who didn't really know what he was doing and was, you know, and was sort of like just faking it for these people 
who right. were looking at me for help, you know, and like look, looking at me to me for advice on the various, you know, problems with the horse's feet and stuff like that. And, you know, and I would give them answers uh, straight out of the textbook, but I had no, you know, I had no real experience in anything I was talking about. I didn't grow up with horses or anything. I had like no, you know, it was just like textbook knowledge that I was giving. And I just felt like, I just felt like a big phony. And I, and I, and so it made it very difficult to do the job because I would never, I could never feel that I was committed to what I was doing, you know? And so if something, you know, something, if I did something wrong, you know, which can happen when you're working, make a mistake or whatever, you know, it was really damaging to me because I already felt like I was not, I didn't belong in what I was doing. And so then I would, and then I, then I would feel, you know, I just beat myself up about it because I had no, I didn't have like any kind of defensive system, right? I didn't have like a sense of like, you know, what do they know, you know, or if this, you know, I mean, like, you know, if you, like for lots of people, like other farriers that I knew, they seem to like have a chip on their shoulder in terms of their, their value as a farrier and, you know, and the customers owed them a living and, you know, they, they knew, they knew everything and they, you know, they just seemed to have like, I don't know if that was just bravado to get over the feelings yeah, that we all had. Did you ever talk to a farrier? Like, no, and, and, I never. Yeah. That's the thing. You didn't have a peer. Yeah. Group. I just, I didn't have a, like my peer group was at school when we went through school together. And of course we all felt, felt like phonies then. Cause we we're all like learning it. And, you know, we were taking, you know, like, like we were like super proud when we like shot a horse in a day at school. Right. So we took, mm-hmm. we took like five hours or something like that to shoe a horse, like, which is like unthinkable on the job. Like no customer is going to wait around for five hours while you shoe their horse. So, but when we were at school, you know, we were so proud of like, you know, uh, but yeah, once, once that was over, everyone scattered to the winds because some, you know, some people were from up, up country, some people were from the island, you know, so those, everyone went back to, to their lives. And then, you know, you're just kind of like bumfering along, trying to like, you know, start up your business and, you know, attract customers and, and, you know, and so you're trying to, you know, and, which I did over time, but, but I never felt like I was a real farrier. I always felt like I was just this big phony who's, who was like, you know, waste, you know, I could, you know, like I was telling a story on a listening party last week where I was talking about this time I had to go do shoes for a, sorry to repeat this story, everyone, but I had to go do shoes for this lady who wasn't going to be there. She phoned and said, oh, I can't, I can't be there, but, you know, would you mind just grabbing the horse and, and doing him? And I was like, uh, I, I didn't want to say to her, I don't even know what your horse looks like. Because uh-huh. I, I didn't know what her horse, I mean, I looked at her horse from their feet, you know, like I would see it, I would see the horse, I'd see it vaguely like okay it's yeah. this, it's a brown horse you just or whatever know their feet, so you're kind of tarantino tano-esque tarantino-esque <laughs> yeah that's right yeah and, sorry and, uh, you're telling a serious story and i'm uh that's, making a that's, sure. that's fine okay good and then uh you know so then my idea was because i was no good at my job in my mind what because there's other horses there so this made it more difficult for me but i knew that there's another farrier who was a very good farrier like very well known farrier in the area had did those horses' feet? So I was like, "Well, I'll look at every foot on these horse horses, and then I'll know which one's mine because mine will look like shit." But then I looked at all the feet, and all the shoes look great, including mine apparently, which didn't make any sense to me because I was such a bad farrier, right, in my mind. Yeah. So yeah, so I feel like that's slightly different. Like I, I wasn't experiencing success. In fact, my feelings were like hindering me from being successful. You know, so. So the imposter syndrome they're describing in this article is different than what I'm, how I think of myself. So apparently we have to think of a new word for, or a new term for imposter syndrome, because I feel like we're, we're misapplying it. Okay. 
Well, I'm just I'm, I'm reading a little bit about it, uh, you know, uh, here. Yeah. And was saying that uh, you know, big part of it is the imposter cycle, and that's that was an updated version of it, the, the kind of the one we're talking about here. And so uh, it always starts with like an achievement-related task. Yeah. And then uh, once you've gotten the assignment, the feelings of anxiety, self-doubt, worry follow. And then you go two ways. One, you either over-prepare yeah. or you procrastinate. Mm. And if you, uh, if you procrastinate, uh, then you do a frantic effort to complete the job. <laughs> and if the job is completed uh, and it's a, it's a failure, you're like, okay, well, of course it's a failure. I'm a failure. Yeah. And if it's a success, then you're like, oh, uh, I was just lucky. Mm. I was lucky. Yeah. And uh, I still don't know what I'm doing. So even if, and if you over prepare, yeah. you're like, yeah, the only way I could have done this was to over prepare because I'm not qualified. So I have to do more than a regular person who would do this would do yeah. because I'm a failure. And so it just keeps feeding, feeding into itself. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe that's descriptive of how I felt as well. I don't know. Yeah. It's a lot of guilt. It's a lot. Oh yeah. yeah it's just, ah, foo. <laughs> yeah. That's no, that's no, that's no good. But I feel, Did you ever, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say because I kind of feel like the article, as it was written and it was intended to look at how successful women. Uh, well, I think the article came about accidentally. Like they were interviewing successful women, and I think they found this pattern which they weren't expecting, which was this sense of of uh, low self worth, like low self esteem, and this feeling that they didn't belong where they were. Uh, you know, and that, but that was part of the kind of the misogynistic system they were operating in this sort of you know high pressure business world where mostly mostly run operated by men who had spent you know uh much of these women's lives keeping them out of you know keeping them out of these opportunities and so um i guess i guess the the psychologist idea was that these women through what you know, whatever they did, they were able to break through this glass ceiling and and find success in the, you know in, in in business, and then you know that's great. How did you do it? And then they talk to these women. They're like, well, you know, I don't know. I just feel like I was lucky. You know, I don't feel like it was through my own efforts. And so they're like, well, this is weird because that's you know, sure, success is, as always has an element of luck to it, of course, but you know, you have to make your luck. You can't just expect luck to fall into your lap. You ha- it has to be through your efforts that you are lucky. You know, like it's through, you know, striving that you create opportunity that gives you the chance to succeed. And mm-hmm. so so these women obviously were striving. These women were obviously trying to succeed and were hence had the quote-unquote luck to further themselves, but it's through their own efforts, their own abilities, that they created these opportunities for advancement, right? But they couldn't see that about themselves. So that's really... And so, yeah, it seems like it was originally intended as only to, to describe something that was a phenomena that was associated with women and women's, you know, and how they dealt, how they felt about their success. So, yeah, it's... Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just men, as usual, like, having to, like, you know, you can't... Women can't have their own thing. We have to, like, glom onto it so typical typical guys yeah i'm gonna glom right now um <laughs> i was trying to think of like what i felt the most imposter uh, in and, and it can go night to night like if i do a show at night and yeah. uh, it's a bad show i'm like well i'm a fraud there's no reason i should be here yeah 
And then you see like other people you're performing with or on that night, like if we're doing stand up and someone else comes up with a stand up and is like, yeah, they're a stand up comedian. Look at them, look at them go. That's <laughs> completely it. They're, they're it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, over time, my opinions change about <laughs> different things. But even when I used to go on the road, you know, and, and would bomb so terribly, and the comedian would do like off this racist, sexist, horrible material that I look back now and just go, geez. Uh, but I'd go like, but they're a, they're a comedian and I'm not. Yeah, I'm pretending to be a comedian, and they're uh, they're a comedian or doing improv, what have you. But where I probably most recently feel that way is, hey, here's the twist: this, hundred percent, this. I do not. Feel, I've never felt like I'm a podcaster. Like if I say, if if it comes up that uh, you know uh, yeah. you're doing the 500th episode of the show, oh, that's nice. So you're a podcaster. I do a podcast. Oh, you're a podcaster. I do. A, I do. <laughs> Let's get this straight. I do a podcast. I am aware of podcasters. Yeah. yeah. I consider my co-host a podcaster. I don't necessarily have ever considered myself a podcaster. Like there's just some basic things like, you know, if I was a podcaster, I would know how to do this on my own and hook up all the mm, equipment mm. and I do all this stuff. Yeah. And also, you know, I, I, I know people who do podcasts, you know, and they're, and some of them are like the best out there, period, mm. you know, and just like amazing, you know, dramatic podcasts they do with all this sound and it's beautiful. And it's just like the most beautiful radio play you've ever heard. And it's yeah. just like, a, it's out there and it's a podcast and they just make this incredibly professional, amazing podcast. Or, you know, again, it is a, just two guys interviewing people, but they're interviewing the funniest people in the world and amazing and, you know, they're just incredibly successful with it, seemingly on the surface. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's so slick and so, you know, tight. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, every, mm, just so many laughs per second, just bam, 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 bam. And I've been on other podcasts where I'm like, boy, howdy, they really, really work hard. Holy shit, the amount of research they do. Oh, what, they got a Patreon account? And what happens? They make a living off it. You say, oh, my gosh, look at that. Wow, they are definitely podcasters. Yeah. And uh, I'm a guy who calls in once a week or I show up <laughs> and I'll just uh, I'll I'll do my I'll do my best. But even when we're doing like something like uh, like full marks or Beatles or what have you, yeah. I'll be like, Dave's doing all the heavy lifting here. I'm just showing up and I'm trying to find you know, I'm listening, I'm an I'm an intense listener yeah. and I will try to pick up on something and find connections between things that you're saying and other things and to try to try to add to it. Yeah. Uh, often getting, you know, the feedback, uh, <laughs> why you shut up and let them talk. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? That feeds, that feeds that imposter syndrome real good. <laughs> thanks folks. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, uh, what's the title? He's ruining the show. Okay, good. How much does this show cost you? What the fuck? <laughs> Uh, yeah. So yeah, I do. I do sometimes feel, and I, it's not necessarily that I feel like I'm a fraud, mm. but I don't feel like I, 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 I am a podcaster. I do podcasts, but I don't feel like I'm a podcaster. I feel like, you know, I might do podcasts in the future. I might, uh, take this up a notch, you know, now that we're going to be like, you know, back in studio together, uh, because I don't have the equipment out here. 
and, and I'll try and figure out how the equipment works. And then, uh, you know, maybe do, we'll do some, you know, sketches and drama and some stuff and just play around a bit and expand. But of course I'll do that. And then I'll feel the same way and just go, well, this is bullshit. I'm just doing that. I'm just pretending to be. these as well. Of course. And I do appreciate like, you know, all the nice things that people have said and all the listeners we have. And, you know, they've honestly, it, it touches me to no end. And I love the I love the letters and and everything, but uh, yeah, there's always like a little bit of me of just going like, yeah, but you know, <laughs> not for real, but yes, I appreciate it. Thank you. It's, it's nice, yeah. very very good. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna still be here next week, but uh, you know, just you know, I'll just try and sit here and tell the truth. And if I think of a joke, I will say it and uh, try to uh, just be me as much as I possibly can be. Well, then you're a podcaster. Ah, no. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to to argue. You know, like you don't have to. There's no. There's no. Yeah. Argument there's against. no argument against. Yeah, like how you however feel about you feel is however you. Yeah, feel. I can't change how you feel about yourself. I just. just I can, I can yeah. say you're the best damn fairy I've ever seen. Well, that doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Yeah. What do you, what do you know? But uh, well, I only know one fairy here, so you honestly <laughs> are the best damn fairy I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny. Uh, I feel, you know, I feel the same way about coloring, coloring sparks. Like, you guys are like, oh, you're a professional colorer now. And I'm just kind of like, haha, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Professional. Professional. Yeah. It, it's strange, like, um, had to do a thing where I had to go to a doctor, uh, uh, surprisingly, this week. Hmm. And uh, it was one of those things where you could tell the doctor be interested with what you do. And so I was like, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, oh, that's a tough question in a doctor's office. And, you know, just break, breaking it down. Uh, I'm a comedian, I'm a, a, and I'm a writer, and I'm a cartoonist. Oh, what do you, what do you write? And it's like, oh, boy, okay. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so hard. It's just so yeah. hard. Yeah. You just go like, I, I don't know, I fuck around. Uh, you don't know. What this is, it's fucking, it's just fuck around. I write things. I, write, I get ideas. I put them together. And some things happen, some things don't. But this is a longer conversation than we have time for <laughs> in the ER. So it's fine. Let's just. I guess just I guess you could just say I do a desk job, but. No, yeah, but that's bullshit. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I just you know I'm trying to give them as much information as possible and basically say like I really enjoy my job. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Are you are you asking me is my job sedentary? Uh, yeah. Am I out and about? And the answer is uh, both. Depending <laughs> on what I'm doing, uh, nothing's the same any day. Uh, it's all random. Uh, I'm also a podcaster. I can't say that, but I do a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Now, how about taking that blood? How about taking it? There you go. Let's do that. Yeah. And I can, and, and there's often a thing, too, where I feel like, oh, I don't want to charm anybody in this kind of situation. And I feel like, you know, I can because what I do is interesting. And I know they're interested because I've got an interesting job. And I have never met a doctor who didn't want to be a comedian. Ever, ever, <laughs> they love that. They love that. They and and sometimes the doctor is a comedian. I know a doctor is a comedian. Yeah, and, and it's like I don't want to get into this right now. Let's you know do the thing we're here for now, and I'm happy to talk to you about this later. But I don't want to be charming and interesting. But then maybe that's good. Maybe you'll give me the good medicine if I am. This is a weird <laughs> situation for me. I don't like. I don't like this at all. Um. Would it be no- I'll just say really quickly, yeah. it reminds me of when I had a roommate who was going to therapy and, uh, and I could tell 
she was getting little to nothing about out of the therapy because she would go there and she would charm the therapist. Mm. And you could tell charm and delight the therapist. I'm like, this is part of the problem, but I can't <laughs> say that. All I know is when I have gone to therapy, I've gone, I've actually said to them, uh, I can be charming. I'm going to try to avoid that right now. I'm going to try to be honest with you, but I'm not going to try and be charming because, because that's addictive. That, that really feeds me. I want you to like me. And we're dealing with stuff here in therapy where I could say some unlikable things. And I, I don't want to get hooked into you liking me because I saw that again with my roommate because, you know, my therapist really likes me. That's good, but not great. <laughs> yeah. Because you're not moving forward with the things. Yeah, I can see that would be a problem. Yeah. Especially if you're using it because you could use your charm just as a way to, you know, kind of stave off any sort of uncomfortable, you know, confronting any sort of uncomfortable feelings. You're just like, well, instead of doing that, I'll just turn on the charm and, and sort of distract this person from digging too much into this sort of stuff. I don't want to. Or it kind of gets into, I don't know if you ever saw, uh, what's, what's a the Gatsby's, um, Hannah Gats, Gatsby's, uh, stand up, stand up piece, uh, where she was talking, uh, it, it eventually was about her rape. Uh, but it was, um, it was about tension in comedy. And it was like how the job in comedy is you, uh, you set up tension and then you release the tension, set up the tension, release the tension. And that's what comedy is. And at, at a certain point, she went, I'm not going to release the tension. And, and it really was. Ooh. And I, I find that in uh, like a, a situation with a doctor or a therapist or whatever. Sometimes it's like, I know what I could say right now that would make us all just go, huh. <laughs> and, and but we wouldn't deal with the thing that's the thing. Mm. And I would actually be lying a little bit about how I'm, whether I'm concerned or not about this thing. I can, I can easily do it and I would do it in a normal social situation or, uh, you know, I, I try not to even do it on, on, uh, on the podcast. Sometimes we will talk about stuff on this podcast. That's like, oof, and it's like, okay, there could be a joke right now, or <laughs> just keep going with this. Uh, you know, but it's, it's definitely a tool that sometimes I've just got to go, okay, I'll put this aside. And the one, every instinct in me is going like, mm, let's, let's do it. It's, it's like an awkward family dinner where something's been said, <laughs> yeah. and you could you could you could just derail it, or we could deal with it, and then we'll be healthier. And that's what makes you a podcaster. <gasps> <laughs> well done, you. If you were in person, I would high five you, right now. <laughs> and then take you for a burger. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> If you eat a burger in a podcast, you eat it in real life. It's true. <laughs> oh, that's going to be interesting. You're going to be in this damn room. This is so I weird. Know. I know. It's going to be strange. I really it? need to fucking clean. Well, as long as there's a path to the doorway, I guess it's fine. Okay, fair enough. All that's right. Enough. We'll, we'll, we'll do that. I guarantee you a path to the doorway. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that is, my, that is my guarantee to you. <laughs> now, um, uh, I'm not going to put any pressure on you, but... Uh, did you do any looking at things this week? And if not, because of the coloring, that's totally fine. No, I actually had some time for some Dark Shadows this, this week. Oh, well, then why don't we set up Dark Shadows? Go ahead. Dark Shadows. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, 
So let me just look here. What did we? Where were we last week? We had. Well, we were nowhere last week because we didn't do it last. Oh, week. but last time then I should say last time. All right. So last time we had. Um, oh yes, Julia came to to Blair's with a with a mallet and a stake. It's basically, <laughs> basically like, where's Angelique? And he's like, who? Huh? Angelique? I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know an Angelique. And she's like. You gotta kill her, or she's gonna kill you. And he's like, "Uh, who, who me? I was you calling me a liar?" And then when she left, he took the mallet and the hammer, and he went down to where Angelique's coffin was, and he opened the coffin, but the coffin was empty. Ah. So we start episode six hundred and twenty-two with uh, Angelique proves to have a separate residence somewhere. She's got a condo with a with a coffin in it, and. <laughs> She awakes and she calls to Barnabas. Is it a, is it a Murphy uh, coffin? <laughs> it's a Murphy coffin. That's right. <laughs> that's right. She, she, I've uh, never seen that in a movie, and I want to see that joke. <laughs> that would be good. Because that would be, would be well hidden. That's a good idea. Yeah. Don't leave your coffin hanging around. Put it. Mm-hmm. Have it. Have it turn into like a, a, a you know a nice set of, of a decorative set of shelves. Yeah. But she awakens and she she calls to Barnabas, but she gets no response because, of course, Barnabas has been sent by Julia to her sanitarium Wincliffe to get away from the influence of of Angelique. Then uh, Nicholas discovers that he has no allies. He goes to Eve and he he wants her to help. And she's like, ha, why would I help you, you jerk? He's like, well, I know I'm a jerk, but I'm the guy who's like your boss, even though I'm not really your boss, but I'm like, you know, like in control of your destiny. and, And she's like, Fuck you. And he's like, whoa, wait a second. And then, but he like threatens her and he, and he enlists her help to spy on Jeff. And of course, she's like, oh, spy on Jeff. Well, I'm already doing that for free. So, you know, if I get on your good side and spy on Jeff, that's, that's even better. But, um. You had me at threatening. <laughs> but, but now Angelique, you know, cause her idea is that he's gonna, she's gonna spy on Jeff cause Angelique's gonna show up with Jeff cause she's, she was doing a little canoodling with him in the past. So, but Angelique, of course, using, Nicholas's mirror is in on the plan, so she knows what's going on. Meanwhile, Jeff convinces Vicky to move their their wedding plans forward. So uh, he wants the wedding to happen sooner than later. And she's all like, but we have plans. And he's like, forget the plans. Let's just get married because I want to get married because I'm getting all these weird signals from this crazy woman who keeps following me around. So let's let's get this over with. Uh, But... Uh, Eve is, of course, spying on all this stuff going on. And Angelique approaches Eve and offers her help, offers Eve some help if Eve will protect her, she says. Mm. And because she needs someone to protect her during the day from from Nicholas. And because Eve wants to travel back in time. And Nicholas wouldn't go along with his plan. He did hypnotize her so she he could see into her past, but he did not want, he didn't want to send her to the past. But, but uh, Angelique says, I can help you. And so Eve tricks Blair into leaving the house by telling her that Angelique was spotted somewhere else. And so he goes off to find Angelique. And Angelique arrives, and using an object of Blair's, she casts a spell that sends Eve, literally, physically, back in time to 1795, uh, where we've already been. And of course, she tells her, you have six hours there, and then you'll have to return. And if you don't, you'll be there forever. So Eve, I wrote, mysteriously arrives. What I meant was, she arrives in the past in a room where people are like, how did you get in here? <laughs> Who are you? And she's like, I need to speak to Peter Bradford. Or, as we know him, Jeff Peters in the future, but at this time, of course, he's still Peter Bradford. And she learns that he has been condemned to death. Oh. And she discovers the story of Vicky's hanging. So she's like, Vicky, 
Vicky Winters was here? So she's like, mm, this is very interesting. So she goes and visits Peter, and he is so over her, because, of course, he's now into Vicky. But she offers him the chance to escape. She goes, I offer you the chance to escape with benefits. So you got to, like, you got to stay with me. got to be my husband, whatever. But I'm going to help you escape. And he's like, okay. And then uh, we cut to Joshua. Haven't seen them for a while. Joshua and Ben Stokes are okay. discussing, they discuss the fate of Peter slash Jeff. And it turns out that, much like with Vicky, uh, Joshua's, you know, attempt to, to get the governor to, to uh, you know, to take away the, to not hang them, uh, didn't work. So Jeff is condemned to death. And, uh, and then he talks to Ben about the family history, the Collins family history that, that Vicky had brought into the past accidentally during the seance that it got left in the past. And, and Joshua wants Ben to destroy this history, but he wants, but before he, before he does that, what, um, Joshua plans to do is to take the information that was in the history and write it into his family history in order to hide all the horrible things that happened. Like he doesn't want people to know that Barnabas was a vampire, that Naomi, his wife killed herself, that Millicent married a, uh, he married, um, was his name Nathaniel? Whatever his name was. The, you know, that, uh, kind of, um, what do you call that kind of person who's, uh, marries you for your money? Uh, gold digger. Gold digger, yeah. Just want, want people to know that she married badly. So she's going to be a spinster in this future. Barnabas will have gone to England. Naomi died of natural causes. Jeremiah died of natural causes. So there's no mention of any of the horrible things that happened. Uh, and then, uh, when Ben goes outside, he's, of course, walking, he's taking this book to burn it or whatever. And then he, me- he meets up with Eve, who ropes him into her escape plans. And then she takes the Collins family history from him because she doesn't want him to be wasting his time with that. She wants him to start on the plans that she has to, to free Peter. But when she goes that night back to the, uh, the cell, Peter refuses Eve's help. And he, he decides he chooses death because he promised, he promised Vicky that he would, whatever happened, he would go into the, you know, he would find her. But he gives a note to Eve. Mm-hmm. So Eve clutching the, Collins family history and Peter's note disappears in front of the jailer, which I spelt G A O L E R for my own perverse reasons. Uh-huh. Because when I was younger, I did not, I thought it was the ballad of reading Gale by Oscar Wilde. An angry, jealous Adam has it out with Eve because she returns, of course, and uh, he's all mad. He's, where were you? She's like, oh, just walking. And he's like, you seem to be doing that a lot lately. You know, this is that kind of conversation. Uh, but as per Blair's instructions, she lays on the lovey-dovey baloney, and uh, they kiss. They kiss a couple times, and Adam's very happy. But we know from looking at Eve's face, well, actually, one thing they do in the show that I find really interesting is they they do the people's inner thoughts as as a, a loud monologue. And so, mm-hmm. she, like you know, she's hugging Adam, but then she's then you see her face, and she's thinking about Peter. So you know she doesn't care about Adam. But Adam tells Blair how happy he is because he thinks that this is a big turnaround for Eve and that she finally thinks he's the greatest guy since sliced bread or <laughs> sliced open, dug up corpses. Vicky, <laughs> that's what he's made of. Right. Vicky opens some wedding presents. She's with, with Liz, Elizabeth uh, Collins' daughter. And they are opening uh, wedding presents and one gift She's very happy to get from from Miss Norris. This is, of course, a, a reference to way back at the beginning of the show. Miss Norris, who was kind of the care, kind of the woman who looked after her when she was in the Foundling home, and she has sent she has sent Vicky 
her own personal necklace that Vicky always admired when she when she stayed stayed at the foundling, foundling home, and Miss Norris has sent this to her as a wedding gift. And then she unwraps the Collins family history with a card in it that just says Peter. She's very upset by this because where did it come from? She left it in the past. She forgot this book, and uh, but you know what? It's her wedding day, so uh, we find Jeff. I, I, wanna, I always want to say in the garden, but I realized that he's on the terrace. That's where he is. He's on the terrace. Okay. And Eve finds him there. And she reads Peter's note to she reads Peter's note to him. And Jeff realizes that he is Peter. Or as he calls himself, a living ghost. And it really shakes him. And he 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 uh he doesn't he's just you know, he's like doesn't know what to think of this. Like, how am I alive if I was alive in seventeen ninety five? Like this does not make any sense. Mm-hmm. So Liz and Vicky have a little talk about their past and the, and, the, and her future. Then Roger arrives and he tells, looks very serious, and he tells Vicky that Jeff needs to talk to her. So Peter shows Vicky the note and says, if he is Peter Bradford, he won't marry her. And she's very upset and she you know, argues with him, but he will, he's not to be shaken from this. And he goes to the cemetery where he finds the tombstone for Peter Bradford and he begins to dig up the grave. And he's joined there by Roger, who remonstrates with him. I was so happy to be able to write the word remonstrates. But it's something, <laughs> something that Roger often does. That's basically his job in the show, is either to like give us a quick rundown of what's already happening, which we know about if we've seen every show, and also to remonstrate with other people. But Jeff opens up the coffin anyway and discovers the coffin is empty. Oh, He's even more upset. And I wrote, an hysterical Peter runs off. But it's actually Jeff. So see that? I guess getting mixed up too. Um, now, while this is happening, Eve sneaks into Jeff's room into Jeff's room. And uh, the thing I love the most there is she finds a picture of Vicky. Mm-hmm. But what's so classic on the show is like, whenever they have like a picture of someone, it's their headshot. It's like their actor's headshot. They just have like framed. So, you know, it's like not like a natural picture. It's like when it's a headshot picture, which isn't really like, how you naturally pose for a, a p- picture. And most mm-hmm. people anyway, unless you're trained. Um, but Adam, Adam finds her there, but this is kind of complicated because the door kind of opens a little bit and Eve thinks it's Jeff. And so she's like, come in, Jeff, come in and I will show you what a woman can do for you. And uh, she's all hot for Jeff. And then Adam walks in and she's all like, you? And he's like, I thought you loved me, but you love Jeff. And she says, I couldn't love you. You're ugly. And also you're oh. gross. And by the way, you stink. Oh, man, that's a lot of senses. Yeah. Then she called him a poopy pants. You also taste bad. What? <laughs> and she says, I, will, I, I love Jeff and I will only love Jeff. And I cannot love you because you are... You're Mr. Poopy Pants. And Adam is so angry, he attacks her. Later, Jeff returns to his room, and he begins to pack his luggage. He's ready to go. He was As he walked into his room, he was looking at a train schedule, which had the name of one of my favorite cities of all time, Yonkers. <laughs> Such a great name, Yonkers. And uh, so he's going to New York on the train. But Vicky arrives to confront him. She's all like, you can't leave you got to marry me. I don't care what you think about yourself. I don't care if you think you're a dumb living ghost. That's ridiculous. You're as alive as I am. I came from the past to to the present. You came from the past to the present. We're getting married and that's the end of it. He's like, he's like, no, I'm going to New York. And then he's like packing his suitcase, which for some reason he's packing with like all these old books that are around in his room. Like, I don't know. He put some clothes in at the beginning and then he spends the rest of the time like picking up all these, all these like old books that have all obviously been bought by the prop department to throw around his room, and he's like p- picking them all up and like throwing them in his luggage. But he goes into uh-huh. the he goes to the closet and opens the door. And he finds the corpse of Eve. Oh no! And he's all like, "Well, I'm done. 
they're going to blame me for this. I have no, I have no way to like prove that I was, wasn't anywhere else. And she's in my closet and she's dead. And, oh, but he phones the police anyway. And so he is in trouble. Meanwhile, Angelique enlists Adam in her own harebrained scheme against against Blair. And I just wrote that down as sort of a joke because she's talking to talking to him and she's like, you know, she's something like, what, you know, you've killed Eve. That f- totally fits my plan. And I'm like, there's no plan. No one has a plan. Not even the people writing the scripts have a plan for what's going on right now. They have no idea what they're doing. They're just like totally hair of the seat or seat of the pants writing right now. Like it's just it's ridiculous the idea there's a plan. You can't have a plan to write a show like this. They should know that by now. But anyway, it's all part of her plan. Because <laughs> she's totally planned for Adam to kill Eve. That was exactly what she wanted to have happen. That's what she's been aiming at the whole time. So, uh, meanwhile, Joe is still in the hospital. Because this is the long go days when you just stay in the hospital for months for whatever was you know happened to you. You know? Like, I had, like, I had a... I had a ball removed from my body, and I was out of the hospital in four hours, you know? Those days, the, ball, the ball had to stay for a couple the, of months. Well, it did. had to get a biopsy. But, yeah. Oh, it, that's true. Okay, well, that's funny. <laughs> whatever. Well, why was your ball like a writing desk? <laughs> why wasn't it like a writing <laughs> desk? I don't know. I'm going to stop. <laughs> so, gonna... so, um... Because they both came from Ikea. What? No, that oh, makes no sense. There you go. Yeah, Test, that's, where the, that's where they put in the ball pen. pen. <laughs> okay. That's what they fill the ball pit with. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The desiccated testicles of cancer sufferers. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Come on, kids. God, Jump in. Know. Jump in. Oh, my Don't word. Don't worry. We wash on. them. We wash them. It's so nice that we're not going to have any listeners for next week. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, continue. <laughs> as, as Joe settles down to sleep, to his horror, Tom Jennings enters his room. And he's all like, no, no, Tom, get out of here. You're dead. You're dead. And then Tom Jennings says, hey, Joe, what? Sorry, I'm trying to find my page here. I'm totally lost. Oh, but no. it's, oh sorry. But it's not Tom Jennings. It's his identical twin brother, Chris. Who didn't see this coming? Yes, it's his identical twin brother, Chris. But Chris is suspicious of Tom's death. And he asks Joe a bunch of questions about Tom's death. And Joe's like, with his eyes darting wildly around in his eye socket, says, Oh, I don't know. Why would you Why would you think I would know? Um, Joe asks if Chris has seen his sister, trying to change the uh, topic, uh, <laughs> tells him that she is being cared for at Wincliffe, at uh, Julia's sanitarium. Uh, apparently she had a nervous breakdown or had some sort of... She's in... Uh, shock after Tom's death because Tom was her only caretaker and he was, he died. And obviously Chris feels all guilty and he says, I, sorry, you know, I couldn't, I know know people are trying to reach me, but I was out of town. I move around a lot because of my job and uh, you know, I'm back here now. And then Julia arrives and she has the same reaction. She's like, ah, Tom Jennings. And then, and he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm Chris. I'm Tom's brother. She's like, "Oh, oh, okay. And he's like, I want to ask you a bunch of nosy questions and she's all like eyes darting around in her head can't let them know that vampires exist because that would be crazy so uh so yeah so then um he offers her a ride back to to uh the house back to where is it called what is it called collins collinswood okay back to collinswood and while he's going to ask her some questions in the car but anyway angelique returns to her secret lair and there she casts a spell 
to someone, someone, we don't know who it is. We know that there's someone evil because she's like making a lot of evil things. She's talking about like, in the name of the seven deadly plagues, in the name of the blah, blah, blah. I call you from the depths of, of despair. I call you from the, the whatever. I call you from the very, the fires of hell. She can't say hell, of course, because that was a TV show in, in the 60s. Yeah, of course, yes. She says, I call you from the fires of tits. <laughs> you can't use that word. Get out of here. <laughs> so then, uh, so, and then as she's doing this spell, she begins to burn. She starts to burn and she screams and yells, no, don't take me. And of course, that's, that's the end of an episode. But then we tune in, we tune in the next day and we discover that she has descended. She has descended to hell. Which of course, oh, no. they, they don't tell this, of course, but she finds herself in the presence of Diabolos. <laughs> that's, what that's what he's called. Once okay. again, there's some words. You talk about words you can't use on television. You can't say devil. You can't say hell. Right. So you got to find some ways around this. You can't can't have them in a fiery place. So basically, they just sort of redress her secret lair room into Diabolos's lair. And, and what's this Diabolos? He's a like? hooded. He's a black hooded figure. Yeah. Sitting at a desk, pushing some paper around. This is a job. Desk, it's a desk job being in the devil. I don't know if you knew. Would you that. say it's a writing desk? <laughs> I would. I would say it's a writing Ooh. desk. Why would you ask? I was just wondering, you know, because this is this dark and yeah. gothic figure. I think yeah. that'd be a good place for a raven to be, like, showing up. <laughs> There's no raven there. There's no raven croaking at that desk. Okay. But, 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 what? but ironically, yeah. Yeah. you have to croak to get to that desk. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, um... Anjali goes to Diabolos and takes this immediate opportunity while speaking to the devil to do what we all would do, which is to whine to him about how ill done by she is. Oh, Uh-oh. I got turned into a vampire. And he's all like, well, you deserved it. You, betra- you betrayed the trust of, of Nicholas Blair. Well, I know, but I didn't deserve it to be a vampire forever. I mean, what kind of, I just did a little thing. You know, and then, but she takes this opportunity to throw, uh, uh, throw Blair under the bus, I guess we could say. Oh, okay. That's her uh, usual MO as soon as she has her Yeah, opinion. by the way, uh, Satan is historically known as the complaint department of the afterworld. <laughs> that's right. If you've got any grievances, that's the guy to talk to. About. Yeah. So, so she tells Diabolos that Blair's plan has fallen apart, that Eve has been killed, and that uh, Blair has fallen in love with a mortal. And Diabolos is all like, what? I will not be defeated by love. That is the greatest sin, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And then, um, so yeah, he's in love with a human. Oh my gosh. So then Angelique offers to help trap Blair in return for her curse being lifted by Diabolos. And he's kind of like, well, if you can help me, I guess that's only fair. Because that's what I'm all about. Fairness. That's what the devil's known for. I mean, that's sure, what Diabolos yeah. is known good, for. Good listener, his door's always open, it's fair. <laughs> Tough but fair, they say. That's what they say. Tough but fair. So... Uh, then Julia comes to Blair's. She has come to talk with Adam, but of course Blair, being a total stupid liar, just says, "Who?" He was just talking to Adam like moments before. He's all like, "Adam's not here," and she's like, "Well, I know he's here because that's where he always is." Adam? What do you mean, Adam? <laughs> Adam's not here. Uh, but then she tells Blair that Eve has been murdered, and Blair is outraged. So then he like, well, I guess Adam is here. Let's go talk to him. So then they have to go into the other room, and that's where Adam is. And Julia accuses Adam of killing Eve. And he's all like, no, he didn't. (laughs) 
and she wants she wants Adam's help to clear Jeff. And he's all like, "What? I'm supposed to turn myself in when I didn't do it? And then I'll get in trouble." She's all like, "She's all like, everything I do here is going to hurt. I want to help three people, but everything I do is going to hurt one of those people. If I hurt Jeff, that hurts you, and if you get hurt, that hurts Barnabas. So she's in some trouble." Excuse me, I'm just going to cough. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> um, it's capital T, and that rhymes with D, and that stands for Dark Shadows. <laughs> so, so then uh, Maggie arrives at Blair's, but the weird thing is, she doesn't know why she came. She doesn't even have a memory of coming there. She just sort of arrived. And then suddenly, Maggie can't breathe and begins to die in front of Nicholas Blair. Then... <laughs> The room is suddenly bathed in red light. And at that moment, Maggie's mouth opens and Diabolo speaks to Blair through Maggie. And he tells Blair to prepare to face judgment. And then Diabolo departs and Maggie recovers. So Blair goes to Collinwood to speak to Julia. He wants her to repeat the experiment. um, And he explains his plans. Like, she's like, I don't even know why you want to do this experiment. He's all like, because, don't you have the power just to, like, make a person... Aren't you like a super powerful being? And he's like, yeah, but that defeats the purpose of this. I need, I need to have Adam and Eve created the way they are artificially. Mm. And then he, then he says, it's like a, he compares it as a parallel to the Genesis story of Adam and Eve being tempted by his master. And he says, you know, and so this, I, and then, you know, I want Adam and Eve, you know, this modern Adam and Eve to be tempted and to fall to the master. And so all the children that they give birth to will be, will worship his master. And she goes, well, that's a dumb plan. He goes, what can I say? The writers are making this up as they go along. Like, what can I do? (laughs) What can I do? But he also says to her, if you don't help me, I will kill Adam. And that will kill Barnabas, as you know. And so, although, to be fair, no one's ever heard this. None of these people ever heard this. The only person who listened to that speech was David and Adam. I think maybe maybe Angelique heard it. So I guess Blair kind of knows about it. But uh, Julia doesn't know about it. But anyway, she's like, okay. So she reluctantly agrees. And then Blair negotiates with Diabolos. Because, once again, as you just said, good listener. Door's always <laughs> open. Negotiator. Well-known well-known character of the devil. His flexibility. We've all seen uh, Drag Me to Hell. It's a good example of, you know, the devil's flexibility. So Blair negotiates with Diabolos for his life. And then Diabolos will only allow Blair to be with Maggie if Maggie is dead. So Blair realizes... I gotta kill Maggie. Alright. Uh, Barnabas has returned to the old house because Blair wants Barnabas's help with this experiment. And then Maggie visits Blair and he uses an antique goblet and a stone to tell her fortune. He claims the goblet was used by Cleopatra as a, as a device of telling fortunes. And wow. he, he, uh, drops the stone. Didn't, didn't, by the way, it didn't tell her about the asp. So not that great. <laughs> right? No. Well, maybe she... Anything misses. I should watch out for? Ask. What? Ask. I can't understand what it's saying. Ask. All right, fine. I think it says ask again later. All right. <laughs> Put it down. Hey, a snake. Ah, fuck. Right to the milk bag. He said, ask. He said, I do have a nice one, hmm. but I can't read what's on it. He used... And, uh, he uses, uh, Yeah, he just dropped... He has her drop a stone into it, and he he reads the, the future in the ripples from the stone. I've never heard of this particular way of telling fortunes, but that's what he does. And then he looks really unhappy. He's like, hmm. She's like, something bad? And he goes, it says you'll live a long life. He's not happy about that, of course, because he wants to kill her. Um, but he presses her to marry him because he has to leave Collinsport. He has other business. Business is calling him away, he says, and he needs to leave. So then we have a big change in the show, by the way. 
Mm-hmm. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. It's a brand new Vicky. Oh, what? It's wow. a brand new Vicky. Yeah, I think I mentioned before that Alexandra Moltka, who played Vicky, was pregnant. Particularly obvious during the wedding sequence, where the dress she was wearing was very loose fitting because she was she was about three months pregnant by this point and showing. And so she left the show, and apparently she was not she wasn't very happy with her character Vicky. She felt like Vicky was a stupid character who, you know, was just written dumb and was hard to play because she was just so dumb and could never like see what was happening around her, you know, and like. So she just got frustrated, and she chose the only way out, which was to get knocked up. No, to have a baby. Because she had a five-year contract, so otherwise she was stuck in the role. Um, so yeah, so we have Alexander Moltke's out. Betsy Durkin is in. Ba-bum. So every episode now says, the role of Vicky is played by Betsy Durkin, who apparently was a redhead and had to dye her hair black to play the role. But anyway, now this... I don't know if the writers were like, new Vicky? New Vicky. Because she's like a little different in this in this episode. Because uh, Maggie goes and tells Vicky that she is going to marry Blair, and Vicky's like, "Oh no, you're not." She's like, "Yes, I am. It's my choice." She's like, "Oh no, it's not. It's my choice too. I'm your friend. I'm telling you right now, you're not going to marry Blair because that guy is a creepazoid." And she's like, <laughs> "And she's like, uh, no, I'm going to marry him. You can't tell me what to do." And then they have a bit of a falling out as friends. But uh, Vicky then goes and confronts Blair, and she's all like, "You can't marry. You can't marry Vicky." And he's and he's like. You know, you can't tell me what to do. Basically, the same conversation. He's like, no, you are evil, and I know who you are, and you cannot marry Maggie because you're evil, and you only will do bad things to her. And fair. It's, it's true. But, of yeah. course, he's very angry. He threatens her. He doesn't – he he kind of um, – he, he keeps his temper. Let's put it that way. He does grab her arm at one point and hurts her a little oh, bit. But it's pretty evil. But he doesn't, um, he doesn't kill her, so that's – Pretty good. Yeah, it's less evil. Okay, all right. Go. I'm with you. So then, uh, sorry, I have to cough again. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's kind of dusty in this room, I guess. Just getting, getting to my throat. Um, so Nicholas goes down to his cellar and he uses a crowbar to pry up the 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 floor, or the floor, the stones in the floor, and he digs up the coffin of Tom Jennings, who is in this coffin with a with a stake through his heart. But Nicholas pulls the stake out from him, and Jennings comes alive. And he's like, I'm going to attack you, Blair. And then he's like, he's like, no, I'll kill you again with a stake. And you know, if it happens twice, you're, 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 you know, you're killed forever. So it's good to know. It's good when they like tell you the myth as you, as you go, right? So you're like, ah, okay, that's good to know. So, uh, we turn, we come to Vicky who's sleeping. She's in bed sleeping. And Tom Jennings comes through her window and he attacks her because he's a vampire, of course. But Barnabas, who we saw earlier, I maybe I should have mentioned this, but Barnabas is there. He's he and and uh, Julia are are working through their notes to reproduce a stupid experiment for the third time in this dumb show. <clears throat> but he hears her screams and he comes up and scares off Tom Jennings and and then he uh, he helps Vicky up and and then we cut to Chris Jennings has come to Blair's house, so he's talking to Blair and he's telling Blair that he's very suspicious about what happened to Tom and and Blair, of course. Is lying as usual. But then, while they're talking, Tom Jennings is staring through the window at them, watching them talk. And of course, Blair is looking at him like, you know, wish you weren't standing in front of the window because this guy might see you. And then Chris turns and kind of catches a glimpse of a person who's standing by the, by the window, but doesn't recognize himself. So he doesn't know that it's Tom. And then he goes outside looking f- to see what, where he, he was. But Barnabas, for the first time in the history of the show, tells Vicky the truth. That Tom Jennings is a vampire. Who? 
This is the very first time that anyone had said to anyone who wasn't Julia and Barnabas that someone is a vampire. And Vicky then makes the connection between Jennings, Blair, and the attack. She says, well, then Blair must have used Tom Jennings to attack me because I tried to make him not marry Maggie, which is true. So while Blair... Uh, oh, sorry. I moved ahead a little bit there. Sorry. So um, Blair wants Harry. Harry is Mrs. Johnson, the housekeeper at Collinswood, her near-do-well son. He wants him, his help to dig up Eve's body. And as they're, uh, as they're talking, Barnabas arrives and basically lays down an ultimatum for Blair. He says, I'll help you with this experiment, but if I'm going to help you with the experiment, you have to A, stay away from Vicky and Maggie, and B, kill Tom Jennings. And Blair's like... We've all, first he says, you can't tell me what to do. But then he's like, well, I guess you can, because you kind of have me over a barrel here. I really need to get this experiment done, because otherwise my boss, who, while we have said, has an open door policy and is very flexible, also will kill me. So I'll have to go along with this. So he does. At least he agrees to it anyway. So while Blair, but I think maybe Barnabas doesn't trust him, because while Blair and Harry are digging up Eve, Barnabas returns to Blair's house to wait for Tom Jennings. And while he's waiting, Jennings unexpectedly comes in from behind and attacks Barnabas! who defends himself with a crucifix and corners Jennings, who then is killed once again by the rising sun. So that's the end of Jennings. He disappears in a, in a chroma key death. Oh no. Okay. The worst kind of death. Yeah. Green screen death. (laughs) Green screen death. So then Blair calls to Maggie, calls Maggie to him, not on the phone. He does it psychically. Uh, And he tells Adam, they are going to make a new Eve, but a better Eve, not the crabby, you know, stuck up Eve, he didn't like him. No, this is going to be like a, a, a genial, good, you know, go, nice to go along, you know, nice get along with sort of Eve. And Adam's all excited. He's like, yay, an Eve who will love me. And he says, yes, even though you're ugly with all your scars, you will find someone who loves you. And by the way, not really that ugly. Kind of Hollywood ugly, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so then, uh. So like wearing a pair of glasses. Well, that he has, kind of yeah, that kind of ugly. But he has scars, right? But they're like, oh, you know, okay. but they're like, they're pretty nice looking scars. Like, like the like the scars in uh, Ready Player One. Just like no one could ever love me, and you see your scars and you go, huh? Yeah. That's it. Okay. I think yeah. Right. You seem to have a nice personality. I think you'll mean a nice guy if you're or a nice person. I should say if you if you you know just want to get along in the world. But all right, you can worry about that stuff if you want. That's kind of like that's kind of like Adam too. Like you know, sure, some jerks might not like the scars in your face, but hey, yeah. screw them. But anyway, he can't. He's like. He's, he's uh, obsessed with it, the fact that he's ugly and scarred. <laughs> but uh, he also tells Adam that Maggie Evans is going to provide the life force. And Adam's like, yay, Maggie's nice. So then Maggie arrives. And she agrees to marry she agrees to marry Blair. And Blair is all very excited. But he tells her that, that, that she and he have to leave Collinsport that night. So we've got to get out of town. Meanwhile, Chris Jennings is visiting his sister at Windcliffe. But he's upset to read in the paper... That is, it is a full moon that night. Huh. I wonder why he'd be upset about that. Well, anyway, what happens next? Oh, his sister, Amy, comes to see him. But she is very angry. She gives him the full one-minute silent treatment. She's so angry because he has not been in town. She didn't come to her brother's funeral. And he did not answer her letters. And he's just a jerk. And he apologizes for being away. And it's, it's good, though. He gives her a present. And she just, like, <laughs> heaves it across the room. <laughs> Screw this. You're a jerk. He apologizes for being away, but when she says, then you'll stay with me, he, he cannot promise to stay. He says, you know I can't. You know I have to travel. And so she's like, wah. And so then she storms out. So then Chris arrives at his hotel and asks the desk clerk 
to change his room to the most remote part of the place. And by the way, Desk Kirk, Kirk played by uh, Desk Kirk played by Conrad Bain. Oh, okay. It's kind of fun to recognize him. He's wearing these weird glasses and has a mustache, but it is Conrad Bain. And not his twin brother. Not his twin brother. No. Does he have a twin twin brother? Uh, I don't know if it's his twin, but it's uh, he's got uh, he's got a, a lookalike brother that was on SCTV with with him on the show as well. Yeah, uh, I don't even know if it was him on the show as well. I think uh, they just uh, got Conrad Bain's brother to do a different strokes uh, uh, rip off. Oh, but, but remember they had the episode with Conrad Bain where they had the the aliens taking them over and they had like the piece of lettuce. Yeah, in the back of the collar. Have they actually have you know Conrad uh, uh, Bain in think, that episode, or was it just? His I brother? think he was the guest star that week. Very good, and uh, yeah, his name was Bonar Bain. Huh? Yeah, he's a twin brother, identical twin brother. Okay, well, interesting. Yeah, kind of like uh, Tom and Chris Jennings. Yes. So then he uh, then the the uh, desk clerk says, "Well, I'll show you this room," and so he shows him this room, and of course, it looks just like an old storeroom, <laughs> and uh, and Chris is like. Perfect, and the desk, the desk looks like you sure. Like this, the wall, the windows all barred, and there's stuff everywhere. And he's like, "No, no, this is just great." So then he tells the desk clerk, "Listen, I'm gonna do some writing tonight, and uh, while I'm writing, I do a lot of acting out of my the stuff I'm doing. So if you hear anything from my room tonight, don't disturb me because I'm working. Just you know, leave me alone. Let me just get you know, just my process." And the clerk's like, "Okay." Meanwhile, at Blair's, Maggie is wearing this kind of weird makeshift veil. And then Blair drugs her champagne, her champagne. And then uh, we cut back again to Chris. And the nosy desk clerk hears a lot of noises coming from, from uh, Tom Jenny's room. And of course he says, well, there's a lot of weird noises coming from that, from that room. But the guest did tell me that he acts stuff out and that I shouldn't disturb him. So what I should do is unlock the door and go inside. Which he does. And uh, he uh, walks in and then... The camera starts coming towards him, and he's like, oh, no, a camera. Ah, ah, ah. And, <laughs> and then we cut. We cut back to a drugged Maggie taking part in a black mass ceremony with Ooh. Blair. And he's doing, once again, a lot of, you know, I call upon the seven plagues. I call upon the evil this and the, the owls and the crows and the blah, blah, blah. And why is a writing desk like a raven? <laughs> and then... Uh, then we cut back to the, the hotel, back to the hotel. And, and then you see the desk clerk is laying on the ground and he's just like a bloody mess. And you're like, wow, this was an afternoon TV show. <laughs> this is for kids. But anyway, this is like this big bloody mess. And then he's like dragged off camera. You're like, Ooh, something's happening. Meanwhile, Eve lies on the table in the basement of the old house. And then Adam arrives and then Blair and Maggie soon follow. And Blair insists that Adam stay because Adam is his his little kind of checkmate against Barnabas because Adam uh, Blair can like magically control Adam's heart rate. And so he can, he could, you know, kill him and kill and kill Barnabas. And then there's a lot of pseudo scientific hooey is spoken. And uh, then we get, you know, for the third time, even the actors and actresses, even the prop people are hardly care about this. Like this doesn't have all the machinery they had last time. They're just kind of like, ah, forget it. Just get the minimum amount of stuff in here for this dumb thing. So then, uh, so, they're like doing all their stuff, you know, you know, Barnabas, don't let it reach 10. If it reaches 10, then something bad will happen. He's like, he's like, aye, aye, captain. And then he's like pushing buttons and they're like, and things are going, woo, woo, and, 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 and stuff like that. And then, and then Barnabas, you know, like he was, un- un- let me just say, he was very unhappy that Maggie was part of this. 
because he told Blair specifically to leave Maggie and Vicky out of this. And next thing you know, Blair shows up with Maggie and says, she's going to provide the life force. And then Barnabas is all like, what? She can't provide the life force? They'll kill her. And Blair's like, Blair's like, well, she agreed to do it. And Maggie, of course, they don't know that she's you know, been drugged and has been taking part in this ceremonial and stuff. And she's all like, yeah, I want to do this. I want to provide my life force for this dead person. And then they were like, well, I guess we can't argue with someone who willingly says they want to do it. So, all right. Could, but, okay. Yeah, we still could. But, but anyway, so partway through the experiment, Barnabas is like, he's like, nope, I'm out. And he just like says, no, I'm not doing it. And he like turns everything off. And then, and then Blair is mad. And then Adam's angry. And then they're all arguing and fighting with each other. And, you know, and then Blair goes in and he's all like, I'm going to kill Adam. And, uh, and then, but he has no power. He can't kill Adam. Suddenly his power is gone. And, and so he just runs away. He's like, I'm leaving. And then, uh, when they return to the lab, Eve's body, they notice is, has just become a, a skeleton. So, <laughs> so it's a real, I feel like there's a mosquito flying around me. It's a real, uh, it's a real, uh, mess as they say in the biz. So then, uh, so then, um, like, so Blair, wait, so where are we now? So then Maggie awakens as though from a dream and she has lost her memory again. What's a memory for Maggie? Just something she loses every, every few, a few shows. Um, at that moment, an angry Adam leaves for Collinswood and, and then outside Blair begs for his life, but he witnessed by Barnabas is engulfed in flames Oh. The second character to leave the leave the show in the last little while. So we've lost Eve. We've lost Blair. Yeah. They're falling like falling like uh I don't know. Obviously, like I say, I think they're just clearing the board here. They got some things we're more interested in presenting now. So um so then uh while this is happening, Adam goes to Vicky's room and attempts to kidnap her, but Carolyn interrupts and they have an argument, but he strangles her until she's unconscious. She he does lower her to the floor carefully, although give him that. Yeah. <laughs> Given that he just strangle her till she's unconscious, but lowers her carefully to the floor so she doesn't hurt. Yeah, her. it's like uh, the police like uh, get your head down in the car and they make sure your head's okay. Yeah, yeah. And they punch you in the gut. <laughs> going, yeah, that's right. Just like that's the kindness of the police. We all know yeah. how much they care about people. They care about your head. <laughs> that's it. So then, uh, so then he uh, takes Vicky away, and then we cut to we cut to uh, the lab, and Adam has Vicky strapped to the table. In the makeshift lab. And let me just say, Betsy Durkin does a fine job as a, as a replacement Vicky. But once again, kind of like the death oh so long ago of the doctor, whose name I can't even remember anymore. Dave, Dr. Dave, uh, can't remember. It doesn't matter. But anyway, this is like his death where the same actor had played him through like, you know, seven months of the show. And then for his, his final like death sequence in the show, they had a different actor playing for the final two episodes. And so when he gets killed, you're kind of like, well, I'm kind of sad to see Dave go, but it's not really the same effect of seeing this actor that you've like watched go through this whole thing get killed. And it's the same now. We've, you know, we've watched uh, Vicky since the beginning of the show. Not me, but most many people have watched Vicky from the beginning of the show. At least for me, from episode 210, I've seen Vicky up to episode 600 and whatever this is when she got replaced. And so it's just weird. Like, so you're watching this sequence of Vicky in danger, but you're not really feeling it the same way because it's a different actress playing the role. But anyway, she's strapped to the table in the makeshift lab and uh, Adam has locked himself and, and Vicky there. And so Julia and, and Barnabas can't get in. And he begins the painful process of uh, transforming her life force into Eve's uh, desiccated corpse, I guess we could say, her skeleton. So then um, 
somehow, don't ask me how, because it's not been, we, we don't know where the story came from, but Barnabas and Ju- Julia break into the lab, and they tell Adam he has to stop, and Adam's like, no, I'll never stop, and you can't do anything to me, because as you know, uh, you know, I'm connected to you in some way, and if you kill me, then I, you will revert to what you were, and apparently that was bad. I don't know what it was, but <laughs> it's bad anyway. And then Barnabas is like, I don't care, stop hurting Vicky. And he's like, no, I'm going to throw this final switch and send the life essence into the skeleton. And then Barnabas shoots Adam. And Adam falls to the ground. And that's where we'll stop this week's episode of Dork Shadows. There we go. Now you're up to speed. If you want to follow along with David, uh, then uh, and you have 2B. It's on 2B. <laughs> it is on 2B. And that, that was episode... Final episode there was episode 635. So uh, if you want to go into Tubi, it is freebie there. Yeah. I watched, or buy uh, the DVDs. Oh, is that three? What? Or buy the DVDs. Buy the $550 DVD set. Please do that. Yeah. Or whatever it was cost. The 131 discs. <laughs> 131 discs set. And if you don't want to spend that much money on the DVDs, that's understandable. Take that money and, like, say, put it into Patreon for, like, like I don't know, like Sneaky Dragon. Like, we got a Patreon account. Sure. Put it there. See, yeah. see what happens. I hear it's good luck. Yeah, it's good luck to uh, to uh, put money into our Patreon account. I hear it's I hear it's like uh, Dogecoin and only goes down in value. Oh, okay, fair enough. Um, let me just say, well, we're talking about Tubi. Yeah. That I saw I saw a movie on there called The Taking of Deborah Logan. I believe it was called. It is a found footage horror movie, which I'm mm. I'm not always a fan of because I feel like the problem with found footage to me is it's very hard to edit. And edit suspense in a found footage film because you, you know, you're just trying to like follow the 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 sort of real real life action in in the film, and so everything's run, everyone's running around and there's no there's no suspense because it's all happening so fast. You don't have time to like be worried because you're like, well, just, everything's happening so fast. I have no, I can't even anticipate something happening here. So I'll just watch these people run around like maniacs. I guess. Oh, okay, they died. Anyway, but no, this movie uh, does a really good job of setting up the situation. It's like a, it's a film about a woman with Alzheimer's, and they want to do like kind of like a, a film tracking her her decline. And so her daughter, yeah. her daughter and her have agreed to do this because they need the money, and so they're offering to pay them to be in this movie. And so, and so, uh, and so they're going to follow this woman through her journey in with this disease and, and stuff like that. But, but oh no. It's much worse than that. And it's very well done. And at the end of the movie had a couple of parts in it where I went, Woo! so that was good. Because I very rarely go Woo! when I watch a movie. So so that was uh, a recommendation because it made me go, Woo! and they weren't even like jump scares. They were like good, good part of the story scares. So that was good. Like it just creates the atmosphere, gets real creepy and gets stuff happening. And then it's, it's very good. I, nice I recommend it. It's, and it's free on Tubi. Tubi! <laughs> um... Here's the thing. Yeah. Uh, we asked some questions last week of uh, our listeners. We asked, we did. Uh, what movie has a great scene in it, but it's not a great movie? And also, name your own piece of Ikea furniture. <laughs> there we go. Those are the kind of things you get in episode uh, uh, 598. We, we asked those kind of things. There you go. Don't, uh, don't we, jump we, ahead too much. It's 498. Oh, is it? Oh, well, all right. 498. <laughs> I, I really tried to get the 98 part right. <laughs> Uh, we also put up uh, some videos uh, mm-hmm. on our page, SneakyDragon.com. Uh, our friend Chris Roberts uh, wrote a, a song about the Sneaky Dragon listening party and did a video. Yeah. And so uh, that's up there as well. And that will make a lot more sense when I read the first letter, which is from uh, your wife, uh, Lisa, who's uh, 
know, a, a person in her own uh, way as well. <laughs> uh, and she says, love Chris's song. Awesome. And also, uh, she would call an Ikea shelf, Shelly. There you go. Right. Oh, nice. And uh, Chris Roberts, uh, this, that makes him very happy. Thanks, Lisa. So Chris Roberts really likes that name for a shelf. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that you like that, Chris. Uh, our friend Louise Moon, who uh, just gave me a couple of sunflowers the other day. Hmm. Very nice. She gives me sunflowers. Nice. Sorry you didn't get a sunflower day. No, uh, no pie, I, no sunflower? It's a, I, I know. No pie, word. no sunflower. I had some extra bagels. I ordered some bagels from Montreal. So I gave her some bagels, and she gave me sunflowers. Uh, and, you know, it all works out great. we got an elaborate barter system going on. <laughs> sure do. Yeah. Uh, Louise writes, my piece of Ikea furniture would be called the Cordy, K-O-R-D-I, a box with openings in it that sits on the floor of your home office or entertainment center in which you put all the coiled up cables and power cords connected to your computer, monitor, scanner, router, TV, PBR, DVD player, etc. so <laughs> they don't get as dusty. A real piece of Ikea furniture that I enjoy is my Hemneet's nightstand. It's a very small table, just the right size for a book reading lamp, and your glasses. It has a lower shelf that's good for a Kleenex box and a small drawer for your journal and a flashlight. And again, thanks for the song, Chris. What great production values, which if you saw that it was a peanut duck logo makes that good. Uh, I love the augmented chord at the end. Chris responds, thank you, Louise. Uh, you were on my mind when I quoted Shakespeare in the first verse. Uh, the chord at the end is F something or other. I was going for a sex like the end of She Loves You, but probably missed the target. Well, I think you hit it, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Chris goes on. So-so uh, movies with a great scene. It pains me to say this, as I love and respect these filmmakers, but Edgar Wright's Baby Driver and Cohen's Hail Caesar come to mind. I agree with both of these. To be fair, both movies uh, have not just one, but several scenes that are great, especially the opening of Baby Driver and the Dancing Sailors and everything with Arden uh, Unreich. Unreich? Aaron Reich. Aaron Reich, yeah. Aaron Reich? Okay. And Hail Caesar. <laughs> but in each case, the whole movie was somehow less than the sum of its parts. Yeah, and you're right. I think it's my favorite director, and I agree with you on that. Um, Regis uh, writes... Hi, too much free time on my hands this week, too. Can't help myself noticing that you seem to like having your credits rolled more and more late into the show. That's a good point. Dave, could you roll the credits? All right, everyone. Welcome to Sneaky Dragon. My name is David Edrick. And I am Ian Boothby. And uh, back to that letter. Okay, very good. Uh, so I got. <laughs> what else can we say? Uh, did you know uh, movies? Uh, do you know any movies where the opening title is at the end? Oh, that is a good question. One that I cannot think of off the top of my hand. Movies with a title at the end. Can you think of one, Dave? Memento. Does it? Yeah, they run backwards too. Oh, they run. They run top to bottom. Excellent. Well done, Dave. Uh, uh, late title sequences. Oh, okay, there we go. Late title sequences have become a thing in uh, movies and series. Deep into the movie, say after a half hour, you've already forgotten. Uh, you didn't see the title. It suddenly pops up, stopping the narrative, so the movie can switch to another part of the story after creating surprise 
expectation and suspense. Sneaky. Yeah, <laughs> they, they, they got that from us. Uh, there's a show I, I like quite a bit called The Good Fight. It's a spinoff of The Good Wife, which I liked less than I liked The Good Fight. Uh, but you never know when that title is going to come in. It almost always comes in really late. And you're like, oh, yeah, title sequence. Oh, yeah, there it is. Um, then your brain clicks, hey, the movie hasn't started yet. Woohoo! this movie's a bargain. That uh, nearly 20% free content. Brains are jerks, indeed. <laughs> but uh, to sort of uh, semi-paraphrase Emo Phillips, look at what's telling you that. Uh, back in the days of films uh, where the beginning of the title, the credits, the actors, the director, the producer, his brother-in-law, his wife, maybe a few technicians, say the guy switches the lights on, uh, that's called The Switcher. <laughs> and, unless, of course, it's a porno movie, in which case it's a different um, And at the end, the end, then blinding lights snap back into reality. Oops, there goes gravity, as they say. <laughs> Do you know uh, why uh, uh, that uh, movie trailers uh, were uh, were there? Movie trailers uh, were originally uh, designed to shoo people away. They would not want to see these. So they were trailing the movie, and they would come on. And they'd be like, oh, this, let's go. Get up, <laughs> go and take off. Because if another movie was about to start, yeah. uh, they'd want to like clear the theater. And you, know, you could stay, I guess, all day. But no, get out of here. <laughs> Uh, now at the end, you've got 20% more free content uh, with a huge credit sequence listing everyone down to the second assistant of the sandwich maker for the actor who played uh, uh, 30s in scene 17. And fun fact, 53% of all credits are for the FX stuff and teams. And also, I got to say, they work very, very hard. They deserve to be up there. Uh, I always like when they see the babies. And it's like, these are all the babies born in this production. <laughs> but they never say the babies conceived. Uh, and where? Uh, when I was young during a school trip to the cinema, it was La Verre avec uh, Louis Dufun. There we go. You know what? I'm from Quebec. That's how we say it. Um, <laughs> at the end of the film, as we were, were starting to fight each other back, the teacher explained to us that we had to wait uh, to the end of the credits to pay respects to all the people who worked hard to make the film possible. It was uh, in the 80s, film credits were shorter. The FS, FX staffs were just three guys uh, when, there were such a, when there was such a thing. Uh, but you've got one stuntman. I remember it was Remé Julien. Good for Remé. <laughs> uh, nowadays, uh, to make watchers pay respects and not leaving before uh, getting their free end content, you need to add more free content at the end of the end in the form of a 15-second scene where you reveal who was the real murderer. I don't think this is all free, but okay, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> and as for the week's questions, are you police? I will only answer the sub-question with my lawyer. Uh, so it all seems that each Ikea name refers to one quality of the product. Uh, so I got a name uh, to rule them all. Fuck this shit. Or maybe, uh, where did I miss a step? <laughs> <laughs> Hail to the dragon! The dragon uh, says thank you uh, back. Thanks very much. What was the what was the question again? What, what what's the police element of last week's question? I think uh, I think it's just basically saying uh, you know uh, what what movie has a great scene and what's not a great movie. It's just like oh. what are you the cops? <laughs> what are you, uh, I'm not going to answer. My lawyer is <laughs> he's pleading the fifth. I was maybe I'm wrong about Memento. Or in French, the sunk. I was just thinking maybe I'm wrong about Memento. I was think I didn't realize who's talking about. I thought for some reason I thought credits, not just the opening title. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting 
Yeah, I know there's one that's obvious that I'm missing right now. Yeah. Huh. Annoying. All right. If you guys (laughs) can think of one, let let us know. Yeah. Um, Edward Dragansky Dragansky writes, and by the way, I'm very excited because Edward is the last letter on this page. Like, I know we've probably got emails and whatnot, but on the official SneakyDragon.com message board, Edward is back to his traditional last place in the uh, reading of the letters list. Nice. And uh, couldn't be happier. <laughs> I want to lead off by thanking Chris Roberts for his wonderful tribute to Listening Party. Chris wrote me asking for my permission to use the peanut duck art. See, doesn't it make sense now, the joke about the duh? Yeah, now it does. <laughs> to which I, uh, I sent to him to use in the video. I'm flattered to be represented in such a well-deserved tribute to Mary and David. Oh, thank you. The podcast may be at an end, but all the music and memories live on. I'll echo this sentiment over at the listening party page also. It's been a great run and deserving of thanks uh, for all from all of us. Now, Dave, you yeah. have not plugged this podcast yet. I How about you do that, man? Sure. Well, everyone, I don't know if you've heard about this show, but I do a show with my daughter, Mary, called Listening Party. And that show is about music. And so we listen to songs and we talk about them. We talk about the history of the songs. We talk about the history of the artists. And uh, we sometimes do little mini documentaries about histories of bands and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of music. It gives me a chance to uh, basically say this. Have you heard? <laughs> Have you ever heard this song? Have you heard this song? Because it connects to this song. Have you heard? Here's a weird one. Here's a weird one today, actually. I was listening to this song. And it was by a group. Oh, man. What was the name of this group? i got to look it up. Sorry. Just Please do. While you do that, let me say uh, Orson Welles' film Touch of Evil originally waited until the end to display the title, uh, but then Universal Studios uh, flipped it at the beginning, uh, but it got changed back in the 1998 re-release. Ah, okay, cool. Also, Batman Begins doesn't have the title until the end, and Van mm. Helsing also doesn't have the title until the end. Well, Not that, necessarily the credits. But that makes sense. Batman Begins, of course, is the beginning of Batman, so the end of the yeah. movie is sort of the birth of Batman, so... Yeah, cool. that's interesting. Uh, so yeah, so I was listening to the, some music today, and I was listening to a song by a band called The Laughing Wind. Not an album by them; just they're part of a, a compilation I was listening to. And they did a song called The Bells. And I was listening to this song, and I was like, "This song sounds really familiar." And then I realized they're singing a song that I've always assumed was done by Phil Oakes, the folk singer Phil Oakes, called "The Bells," and it's based on an Edgar Allan Poe poem that he put to music when in the in those folky days when people did stuff like that and yeah but it's not credited to him it's credited to the someone in the band has taken the 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 credit for the song so i'm kind of curious i have to do more more digging into this because because i don't know i have a feeling that if i looked at if i when i get my phil oaks records out that it will have uh it'll be credited to him so yeah weird but it's the same song and it's using the same kind of like guitar chords and stuff like that like it's clearly based one on the other so but uh i never even knew about that one that's kind of fun when you discover songs that borrow tunes or or uh yeah like stuff like that it's kind of cool but yeah uh, yeah uh, about a third of the middle of this show was an episode of this american life so we do that too we sometimes borrow like <laughs> just, just throw it in people put it right in there yeah people and, uh, yeah. last week about 20 minutes of our show was just an old episode of johnny dollar yeah, that's when I took uh, that. That's when I took that long cab ride. Cab ride yeah. to give a guy a good tip. Yeah, that's right. Because you got the what was it? Uh, gold plated uh, expense account. Action packed expense account, sir. A- 
action-packed expense account. Love it. Uh, we got to buy the rights to that at some point. Uh, continuing on with Edward's uh, letter. I know you guys have never uh, been fully immersed in Star Trek, uh, but you don't really need to be to know that Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, was the low spot in the film run. Nimoy well, had now, the... Now, uh, I, now I know. I didn't, I yeah. didn't know that. <laughs> I'm like, eh, are you counting Nemesis? Are you seeing Nemesis? What's Nem- uh, what's, okay. Is Nemesis a new generation one? Next generation? No, Nemesis is new generation. It's Tom Hardy as a clone of, uh, of uh, Patrick Stewart. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, eh, but, okay, fair uh, Here's the thing about uh, Star Trek V, and I've only seen it maybe once, but it was like so big and corny and weird. Whereas Nemesis was just you know, doing this, okay. Um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm more pro five over Nemesis, but you know right. what? This isn't my letter. Let me continue on. Yes. Uh, whatever. Uh, Nimoy handed the directing reins over to Shatner with less than spectacular results. The special effects were mediocre, and the production value suffered visually along with a weak story. Where uh, whereas the co-stars were treated as part of the team or crew. Before Star Trek V, they were now pushed into the background as the story favored the triumphant front of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy heavily. Well, that's, <laughs> that is how they were in that one. Uh, I can't come down too hard on Star Trek V because I am a tricky. I still have an unconditional affection for it, particularly the scenes with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy dynamic. Uh, that's where Shatner excelled in the film. Uh, if anything worked under his direction, it was how these three characters worked off uh, one another. It's the one redeeming factor of Star Trek V, and it makes for some great scenes. And also, they had that marshmallow generating tube. Pretty great. <laughs> I'm throwing that at it. Row, 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 you row, 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 row. Okay. Um, what, the renegade what is this? Bo- what are you doing? They sing. Okay. They're sitting around a yeah. uh, campfire. Okay. After, by the way, uh, Kirk is like climbing, uh, cliff, cliff climbing, and uh, Spock. Uh, flies up with rocket boots and says to him, uh, Captain, I don't think you understand the gravity of your situation. And then, uh, it's pretty good. And then uh, Kirk falls and uh, Spock catches him. And then they go and they sing a song around the campfire and they have a little device that makes uh, one individual marshmallow each. <laughs> and then they put it on sticks and they roast it. How, con- how convenient. And then they sing, uh, row, row, your boat. <laughs> I can never use, I can never use a bag of marshmallows now that I know that exists. Yep. Uh, the renegade Vulcan and half-brother of Spock, Cybok. Great, uh, has, great uh, name, by the way. Has taken over. Uh, he should only have one eye. He's a Cybok. <laughs> has taken over the Enterprise by use of his mind control or conditioning of the crew through the illusion of dismissing their greatest personal pains. Uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy go to a room at what seems to be the furthermost front of the ship to send a distress call. It's a dark room with an enormous antique ship wheel like you'd see in a 19th century sailing ship. Cybok enters and proceeds to use his powers on the three. He starts with McCoy, and the scene is shown from McCoy's past. It's shown as if it's being lit from the, from the corner of the room, almost as if it was on stage. The scene is McCoy's dying father, who he can't save. So McCoy grants his father's wish and euthanizes him. And only after realizing that the cure for his father's illness was discovered shortly, uh, and only after discovers that the cure uh, was discovered shortly after his death. It's McCoy's greatest personal pain. It's now shared with Kirk and Spock. Cybok then does the same for his own brother, Spock, and shows the room uh, Spock's greatest pain, his birth on the planet Vulcan. 
being half human, Spock's own father, Sarek, holds the infant Spock for the first time and in disgust says, he's so human. <laughs> this uh, doesn't appear to affect the emotionless Spock, but Kirk is astonished to learn these painful events of his friends' lives. He was uh, shocked to find out Spock was born. Okay. Uh, Kirk then confesses <laughs> to Cybok. He had no idea uh, of any of this about his two closest friends. Cybok then tries to do the same to Kirk, but Kirk refuses and admits he needs his pain to make him who he is, and it won't be put on display. Cybok tells Kirk his mission is to take the Enterprise through the Great Barrier ahead of the, uh, and that God awaits him on the other side. Cyborg leaves uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy in prison in the emergency transmission room and returns to the bridge. As they approach the Great Barrier, Kirk realizes his purpose and ambition of exploration as he, Spock, and McCoy stand around uh, the giant antique ship wheel at the front of the ship. The camera pans down to an old grass plaque on the ship wheel that says, to boldly go where no man has gone before. As we hear the classic Trek theme. They didn't binge watch the first season of the series. What? Do they? No, they don't do that. <laughs> uh, the scene is powerful and succinctly reveals through discovery the relationship these three have uh, for one another as well as their purpose. It may be one of the greatest Star Trek scenes of all time, and it's stuck firmly inside one of the lesser productions of the franchise. If Shatner did anything right, it was how he handled the bond shared by Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. And we have a local Ikea that will only go to on a weekday because that place is a goddamn zoo on the weekends. <laughs> I personally uh, designed a drawing table and call it Eddie. The table could be worn on one's back for transit, giving them the freedom of unfolding the table to draw anywhere, anytime, which is usually the case. If the Eddie had a secondary feature, I want to design that. Uh, I want to design that also converted into a rollout mattress. So one could immediately use it to sleep on, which is also the case needed after drawing. <laughs> I'd sell it, uh, assemble it in a big box, because artists detest putting shit together from Ikea. We just want it ready to use. I also wanted to address something I've noticed in Ian over the last month or two, because I do care about the well-being and health of our Sneaky Dragon founders. In comparison to last year's time, Ian, you sound remarkably better in spirit. I know the pandemic affected uh, us in many ways, but didn't expect you uh we didn't expect, but you seem to be coming out of the storm, so to speak. You sound healthier and funnier with each new podcast. You've had me laughing more than you have in a long time. You notice these things uh, when you listen to someone every week. So I found myself laughing along with you the last month or two. That was enough for me to know you're pulling through this. It's a good thing to hear. A very healthy Ian Boothby is a funny Ian Boothby. Well, thank you very much for that. I really do appreciate that. I went to the emergency room this week, <laughs> but that was... But so so let me uh, let me just uh, clear up a little something on that. Yeah, uh, I am I am healthy. Um, I uh, but I'll uh, but I but I was having a little trouble with uh, fluid in my legs. They were kind of gathering in my ankles, and uh, so I I went to get that checked out, and they did an EKG on me and uh, let me know that I had I, I was in AFib uh, or I have AFib. It's not AFib, uh, arterial uh, fibrillation. And so basically what that means is the top part of my heart is uh, beating a little bit irregularly, which is not huge. It's something that, you know, it's it's not something to panic over. But it was something that uh, the doctor in the clinic wanted to get checked kind of right away. So the easiest way of doing that was sending me to the ER. So I went to the ER and uh, got a bunch of blood work done. And the one a couple of the nice things uh, that I found out were, 
some things that I was worried about, uh, I don't have at all. So that was really, really nice. It was like, oh, that's off my mind. And I had a doctor who's, who said to me, like, uh, just casually, why are you anemic? And I'm like, I, I don't think I am anemic. And uh, I'm not anemic. So so there's that. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, so uh, I am now, if I'm sounding any different, it's because I'm on blood thinners. So I'm on, I'm on blood thinners now, uh, which is uh, because there is uh, some risk of uh, some, some I'm, I'm, I know I'm getting personal with my medical stuff, but I'll tell you guys, uh, because, you know, uh, that can cause clotting. Uh, I, I have no signs of anything of that happening, but it's just to be safe. Um, but uh, one of the funny things about that was uh, it told me, okay, so you can't fall down the stairs. <laughs> just let me know. You can't fall down the stairs because you can get hurt. Uh, and so, you know, if, if you uh, nick yourself or whatever, it'll probably take a little longer to, to clot up and whatnot. Uh, but everything still is, is the same except, yeah, try not to bleed as much. And as he said a couple of times, uh, don't fall down the stairs. So apparently people <laughs> fall down the stairs, and this has been a big thing. Um, so yeah, so I'm on another uh, I'm, I'm on another drug. I've got stuff for cholesterol and, and, and high blood pressure. And uh, over the pandemic, uh, I put on uh, weight that I am now doing my best to take off. And if I do do that, that should solve quite a few of these issues. And so that is my goal. And I'm basically swimming every day right now, uh, meditating, uh, trying to eat better and doing my best. Uh, but uh, you're not hearing wrong. I am in, a, in better spirits than I was before. So I do appreciate you picking up on that. That really means a lot to me that you care. Uh, and uh, yes, I'm doing, I'm doing well. Uh, my family's doing well. We're doing well. And as of tomorrow, I will have my second vaccination which I am very happy about because uh, fuck COVID, honestly. You know, that's enough of that. Don't care for that. I want to do podcasts with my friends. I want to see my friends. I want to be able to go back to, you know, doing, walking around and doing things. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's where I'm at right now. And now you are updated. There. Hmm. Well, well, I'm glad that you're feeling better. And I'm glad that you are able to go swimming again. That's great. I am really, I'm really enjoying it. I'll, I'll tell you, you don't something you don't want to hear from a doctor is, well, I'm sending you to the ER. That's not a good thing. <laughs> no. But, but the reason was just because that's the that's yeah. the way you get stuff done. Yeah, yeah. Fast and fast, sure. and then yeah, ran kind of my game plan by them, and all all thumbs up. So, uh, if you go to a Vancouver pool, you may see me there because I'm there a lot right now. <laughs> good, yeah. good. Yeah, I love I love swimming, so I'm glad that you're glad you're doing that. Yeah, it's a little tough now because uh, it's going to be so blazing hot that I'm sure the pools are uh, going to be super packed. So, you know, you can only uh, let a certain amount of people in. You book in advance. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, often now it's like I got to book like a couple of days in advance because, oh, man, those things fill up really fast right now. And, and today I was at the pool and it seemed like everybody had a ball. They, I mean, I, not I mean a good time. I mean, they <laughs> physically had balls. Everyone was just whipping balls across to each other. <laughs> it's a very strange thing. <laughs> I'm against that in a pool. I don't like uh, everyone playing catch. It's like, that's not a place for this. Right. Everything else in this park is for catch, not for not the pool. <laughs> Swim! Oh, well, you can have pool play, too. It's not just a, I guess you not just an exercise play. It's also for kids to play in. 
Yeah, it's like, come, come on now. That's, oof. yeah. Do we have any uh, emails of any sort, David? Um, yeah, we do. Well, all right then. Well, anyway, oh, you want me to read them? Okay. No, not really. Here, <laughs> here's a, we got some questions from Jonathan Bampton. Yay! As I like to say, two-time winner of our grand prize for the Sneaky Dragon listening listeners' questions episodes. Thanks. <sighs> I think so. Uh, here's some questions for you, Ian. Are okay. you ready? First question. What's it oh, like? Oh, sorry. I thought that was the only question. I was like, are you ready? <laughs> you yeah. know what? Yep. Uh, I don't think we're ever ready, but let's do it anyway. Sure. Okay, go. What's it like being a male comedian? Ah, I see. <laughs> uh, uh, here's what you got to do. Uh, you got to uh, uh, remember that you are. Remember that you are. And that, that you know, try to uh, uh, just, uh, you know. You know, don't, uh, don't, uh, just know, know, know that you are. All right. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. But don't, let, so don't, but don't, don't let it go to your head. Don't think that it's the default setting. Yeah. You know? I yeah. mean, uh, you got to, yeah. Uh, here's what I say is, uh, oh, what's it like to be a male comedian? Uh, smart enough. You got to smart enough. Okay. Hmm. All right. Second question. How yeah. much, dollar sign, dollar sign, would you pay to go back in time to witness the recording of Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. Conditions. Okay. Conditions. Yeah. You could not interact with anyone in the studio. Right. Two, you could not have any physical contact with anyone or affect anything spatially. But you could leave a written message for Rick Astley that we could read after you jumped home. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I, 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 don't, I mean, first of all, I would walk uh, 500 miles and I would walk 500 more. Uh, but that's an unrelated situation. It, it truly is. It truly is. But anyway. It, it, it truly is. Yeah. Um, how much How much would I pay? Now, are we talking 80s dollars or are we talking modern dollars? Because the value. I think it's modern dollars because you're traveling back from this time. All right. Then I'd say the... two Doge coins. Two Doge coins? Yeah. Wow. So that's like 40, 46 cents? Nine, Back well, then, yeah. 90, that's, 92 cents or so, right? That's what you're paying. Right. And I would, I would write I would write on a little note, uh, uh, write on a little tiny note to him, uh, invest in memes. <laughs> and, then I, and then I put a little note underneath, please give me 5% of what you make from memes. And I'll put it there. And I, don't, and I put it in brackets, no doge points. <laughs> All right. Okay. But by the way, Dogecoins are, are a meme. Okay. All right. Questions for Dave. Meme is murder. <laughs> Love that Smith album. Would you allow George Bush Jr. to paint your portrait and on what conditions? Um, I would... S- oh, boy. That's a good question. How, it depends on how I was asked. Because I would have a really hard time being rude to someone. I wouldn't necessarily want my portrait painted by George Bush Jr. He's not a person i admire very much um no he's a bad person he sometimes paints in the bath too so you may he may be <laughs> nude during your portrait. well that's well then i'm in um second question dave you were in your mid-teens not really i guess mid-teens i was in grade eight uh you were in your mid-teens when john lennon was killed what was the reaction from your generation age age at the time i.e was it daggy and uncool to like slash be aware of slash keep up with the Beatles and its past members in the 80s. Uh, and then he adds, Ferris Bueller quotes Lennon, but we all agree he was a bit of an arsehole and maybe an unreliable representation of the cool 80s. Well, first thing, there's nothing cool about the 80s. 
I was there, and I can tell you that, say that with absolute factual uh, factiness. But how, what was people's reaction to John Lennon being killed? Well, I think that uh, for my generation, we were still part of the classic rock generation. Like, we were still listening to music from that time period, and, and not even ironically. You know, so the Beatles were still played regularly in our musical lives. Like, if you listen to the radio, or if you were interested in music, then you knew who the Beatles were. They were in parents of a certain age's record collections. They were, you know, they're just kind of there. So you knew who they were. And I don't think, and I don't think there was much like resentment as being uncool at that, at that, at that time. Do you feel that way, Ian? I don't know. Like it's it, very hard for me to remember that time. It was 1980 when he was, when he was shot. So I was in Green Yeah, 80. I don't, I really don't know. Yeah. I was so out of it. I was just, I just moved here and mm. I was, I was a damn mess then. You were grade yeah. seven. Yeah. So yeah. I, rem- I remember I was sitting in, I was sitting in the living room doing my homework and while well, listening to Sea Fox, which as everyone knows, the Fox rocks. And so Always. Th- that was my station of choice. I partly listened to it because I mean, at that time, they mostly played, like, contemporary music of that time period, you know. But I liked them a lot because they uh, played things that were kind of a little bit off the beaten track. So, like, for instance, uh, Generals and Majors by XTC from their album Black Sea was regularly played at that time on on the on Fox. So I was a big fan of that song. And I liked The Police, like, Don't Stand, Too Next, Don't Stand So Close to Me, I should say, and... Um, Peter Gabriel's Games of the Frontier, stuff like that, they would play, right? So, so I, I, I could listen to that station and hear things that were interesting to me. And I do remember doing my homework that night and, and, and then breaking into the broadcast to inform everyone that John Lennon had been killed. And it was really a shocking thing. You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't generation, generationally shocking to me though. Like I, you know, like he wasn't of my generation. And the Beatles felt like they were, you know, something that was older than us and, and a little bit out of, reach but at the same time i was like a big beatles fan of that age i i really liked their music a lot so yeah i remember being very uh upset by that and i and obviously upset enough that i remember where i was when it happened mm-hmm. now i wish i'd written it down because um i was talking a little while ago to mary about memory and she was telling me about a, an experiment a professor did on 9-11 is that he took advantage of that significant day to have everyone in his class write down what they were doing on that day and so everyone wrote down like what they were doing that day. And then uh, sometime later, he came back to them and he asked what they were doing that day and hardly anyone could remember what they were doing that day. No, all, of their, all of their memories were wrong for what they were doing that day. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Wow. Yeah, and it wasn't like a huge amount of time had passed. Okay, and then, um, so thank you for those questions, Jonathan. That was fun. I appreciate it. Ian, did you appreciate it? I did appreciate it. Now I'm thinking like there's two things. One, what? Uh, I, some, again, I've mentioned this on the show before. But my memory of uh, when Kurt Cobain died mm. was being in pop media culture, and they were talking about Kurt Cobain uh, dying, and me thinking, uh, "I got to find out who this is." <laughs> I bet you had to. But, but, we were, but there was no way I could go, "Who?" Yeah, like I, the, vibe, <laughs> the vibe would have been wrong. So I was like, "Oh no, yeah, is it this? It's, it's so tragic because of this, this, and this." Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Buy my, buy my comic books, put them there. You know, yeah. Uh, go out, try to look them up. Ah, okay, there we go. I was not a huge uh, fan of Kurt Cobain, so actually, I have no idea where I was when he died. I actually remember better where I was when two boys drove here all the way from Quebec, from Montreal, Quebec. They rented a, uh, they rented a like a rental unit, and they parked their car in it, and they killed themselves there Oof. because of because Kurt Cobain had killed himself. 
It's pretty, pretty uh, crazily committed to an act to go all the way across the country and still do it. I think at some point you'd be like, you know what? I'm, re I'm really liking life. I don't think we need to, to do this. But anyway, I guess they didn't. Um, but here's a good thing. We got another letter from Kanan Grawl. Who, oh, nice. who I was thinking about just a little while ago because, um, well, because he hadn't written for a while, so I was kind of worried. But anyway, glad to hear from you, Kanan. Yeah, really great to hear from you. And so here is his letter. He said it's it's titled "Kid Stuff," and he says, "Hello, head sneakers, and all the sneakers out there in Sneakyland, which I imagine is similar to Disneyland, but less rides." And more a petting zoo with cats and chickens, which sounds simultaneously awesome, yet not worth the money. Hello! First, <laughs> Ikea. I imagine a range of Ikea furniture that is all basically the same as what they have now, but everything has four-foot extensions under it with various holes and panels cut out of them for putting, ar putting in arms and heads. The whole range is called Morpit. Imagine walking into that house. They would sell Swedish chef puppets only. The rest is up to you. That does sound good. does sound good. I agree. By the way, I missed the favorite Muppet question, and mine is Kermit. Although I think we said besides Kermit when we asked that question. It's not very often the central character of an ensemble like that that is the clear favorite, right? Mickey Mouse? No, it's Donald. Bugs Bunny? No, it's Daffy. Well, I would disagree with you there, but anyway. <laughs> Archie? Pfft, Jughead. Anyway, it was Gonzo growing up, and I'm even okay with them making him an alien. I like Muppets in space particularly the beginning where it puts them in the situation of all sharing one big house. I love that conceit. I wish they'd have stayed with that for any new Muppet shows, because it certainly lends itself to the chaotic nature of the original backstage antics of the Muppet show. Also, that recent Muppet remake was a little rough. The Office parody one? It started terribly, with no clear voices. The lines could have been read by anyone, but they yanked it after eight episodes, retooled it, brought in all new writers, and I think showrunners, and the last five episodes aired were fantastic. Or maybe it was five, then eight? But by then, it was too late. The audience had spoken. Ah, oh, well. I don't think we'll ever get... Oh, sorry. I don't think we'll ever have another good Muppet thing again. The new voice of Kermit is so wrong. Getting rid of Steve Whitmire was a mystifying decision. He trained under Jim Henson. He was a direct connection to Kermit himself. What a wrong-headed choice. Oh, yes. It's so It's very important, the apostolic connection in Muppets. Anyway, as the title of my email says, I was writing to talk about kid stuff you talked about on the last podcast, since I currently read to our seven-year-old every night. We recently finished a sci-fi trilogy of YA books called The Dark Star Trilogy, about two kids who go on an interstellar voyage to try and catch up to the human race. Ten billion people spread across four starliners who are en route to a new planet. I want to point out that I said en route, everyone, and not the annoying en route. <laughs> en route to a new planet. They get left behind on Mars. It is hard sci-fi with decades of deep space stasis travel, aliens, morality about war and genocide, alternate realities, the origins of the universe, and possibly the best time travel mechanics I think I've ever come across in any type of media. It uses the infinite realities formula, where there are no consequences. You can change anything, and it doesn't matter. But also creates real stakes, and has a satisfying ending, but is in no way upbeat. He wants to know if there'll ever be more. Mm. Then after that, we read a book called Amphibian, about a nine-year-old boy with anxiety disorder. 
Our kid has ADHD and severe anxiety disorder, who is worried about the extinction of all animals on Earth and chooses to focus all his attention on the class frog. Plus, he has a school bully to contend with, as does our son. And his parents divorce, thankfully not our son, don't know how much of that he understood. He loved that book, and it is not for kids. The language is pretty easy, since... It's written from the kid's point of view, and I always explain long words and new concepts along the way anyway, but it had quite a few instances of swearing in it, plus it really teaches kids how to be a smart arse. To be fair, <coughs> so do I. Um, sorry, I got down here. There's one part where the bully pulls the protagonist, protagonist, protagonist chair out from under him, and he cracks his head, which makes him stand up and yell, you can read this out or not, fuck off, you shithead, fucking fuckface asshole which made our son die laughing. He wanted to read it many times over. Now, you might think that is entirely inappropriate for a seven-year-old, and it is, but he has already, unfortunately, been exposed to far worse on YouTube. He had been watching things we didn't know about before we caught on. We thought we deleted YouTube off his iPad, but he was watching it through Safari when he was six. So he swears indiscriminately and without knowing when or without knowing what he's saying, so I figure it's better to read things to him with swearing that is at least appropriate. He's getting better. We're reading the true meaning of Smek Day now, which is the basis for the animated movie Home. So at least I was able to backpedal a little. How long it will last, I don't know yet. He has countless picture books he won't even look at. I have to beg him to watch a Disney movie with me. I have to wait for the kid who's not interested in kids' movies to watch a kids' movie with that I'm interested in. Explain that background shit to me. And right now he's watching the season two of... Oh, sorry, he's waiting for season two of Lock and Key and season four of Stranger Things. He won't start watching the Marvel movies with me, though. Says they're too boring. I mean, it does start with Iron Man. I have not geared him this way. My wife didn't. He has oppositional defiance disorder. I can point to the fridge and say, that's the fridge, and he'll say it's not. So, since I love comics and animation and kid stuff, he just doesn't. I think my office space makes him want to vomit, and there has been absolutely nothing I, and there has been nothing I, absolutely nothing I can do about it. Parenting a child who is the complete opposite to you is a special kind of hell I do not recommend. What I'm saying is, kid stuff is in the eye of the completely useless beholding parents. This has gotten long. What can I say? I learned from the best. <laughs> Big thanks to the patience of all you sneakers out there. Thanks for taking the hit. Cheers, Kanan. Yeah. Cheers! It is interesting. It's it's uh, something that I was actually talking about with Eve the other day, which is the just the fact that how much of our children is... is uh, genetic that we have no, we can't control or, 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 or mold or make into ourselves, you know? And, uh, yeah. Cause Eve is of all of us in the family, Eve is the most unlike everyone else in the family. She, um, she doesn't really share any of our kind of obsessive compulsive interests in things. Uh, that's not how Eve is wired. She's, she's much more quote unquote normal than us, you know? And, uh, that's has more friends, <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine. That's good. It's good for her. Yes, it is. Nice. It is. Um, it is tricky having kids who are different than you, but you know, you obviously connected to him through through science fiction, which you like, and he likes, even if it's a bit more more adult. I mean, I think I do think though that there's a difference between modern adult and and an old adult. You know, like I just think that you know, if you thought, oh, my child is old enough to read Anthony Trollope, it is more difficult because the language is 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 more elevated. You know, they just spoke in a more they had 
definitely more respect for Latin than we do now. And so, you know, um, big words, like big, you know, $3 words that have or Latin in origin were like a big part of the language of that time period in English literature. And so it's just a tricky thing, you know, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely fun when I could start recommending books to my daughters to read, you know, and, uh, and when Mary was trapped in Quebec, I took advantage of that, uh, to cruelly send her books that I wanted her to read. Most of them she, <laughs> and most of them she enjoyed quite a bit, you know, and, and did really help her in her reading habits, you know, to broaden her, broaden her tastes and stuff like that. But yeah. Anyway, thank you, Kanan, for writing, and thank you, Jonathan, for writing, and thank you, everyone else, for writing in to our website and leaving us your uh, fun comments. It's it's always a pleasure to read them all. And this week, of course, we have to come up with more questions. Ian, do you have a question well, in mind? Well, not really, because next week, uh, like we've already oh, asked. Oh, yeah, like, that's right. What, we've already asked, like, is there any segments you want us to kind of like uh, mm-hmm. uh, t- talk about? But yeah. I think we're going to have a lot to talk about next week uh, anyway. That's true. So it's a bit, of a, a bit of a special one. But if there's something you want us to discuss, yeah. Let us know. We'll, let us know, and and I think I said before that if you have any thoughts about Sneaky Dragon, um, it's 500 episodes, so some of you have been with us for a, a long time. I know that for a fact. I know, I know, I know you, and I know how long you've been listening to the show, and I just love that you've been with us this long. And if you have something you want to say about the show, or something that the show has done for you, or helped you in some way, then we'd love to hear that too. So uh, help us celebrate 500 episodes of of this silly show, and. Uh, and let us know. Let us know your thoughts. And that was that was my imposter syndrome speaking there. Ah. So sorry, I said that. So yes, those are our questions. I will formulate that in in some way on the website. And uh, we looking forward to uh, everyone writing in. And so, how would they do that, Dave? They'll do it this way. Thank you for asking me that. They'll do it this way. Uh, if you go to the website sneakydragon.com, you will find our show posted there. And underneath every episode is a section for listeners' comments. Or, if you'd like, you can send us an email to sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. If you are on Twitter, we are, we are also on Twitter. We are at sneaky underscore dragon. We have a Facebook page. You may comment on things to us there. Someone wrote today and tell, told, told me how much they enjoyed, or told us how much they enjoyed Completely Beatles and Full Marks. So thank you for writing to us, Stephen. And also, uh, if you go to our website, there is a contact us page and you will find our snail mail address there. So there you go. So many ways to communicate with us. So you have no excuse besides procrastination and shyness. And those are silly reasons not to write to people. So everyone, so looking forward to next week. Uh, this is going to be awesome. I'm actually going to get to drive into Vancouver and, uh, and uh, visit with Ian. And, True. and I'm going to bring a machete to, to fight my way to the, the uh, podcasting room. Probably. <laughs> it sounds like it might be necessary. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> I'm just joking. Well, here's the thing. Like, I am cleaning up this weekend, but I am getting the vaccination tomorrow. So if it knocks me out like it did last time, mm. those two days are just going to need me going, <laughs> lately pushing boxes aside. <laughs> That's all good. That's fine. I'm going to talk. I've got this giant litter of stuff around me, so don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry. If uh, there's an earthquake, I will die from being crushed by books. Oh, dear. Well, there's worse ways to, worse, worse way, worse ways to go. <laughs> like sure. like the way I said that sentence. That's also a worse way to go. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. So, so looking forward to next week. Episode 500. Woohoo, we did it. It means Woo-hoo. something. It means something. And uh, 
So have a good week, and we'll see you next time. Stay safe. Bye. Bye. Thank you.